The following presentation of the Eric McKenna Project is sponsored by no one. Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. Yeah, we got all kinds of shit. It's hot enough in here. here. It is with all these, it's a fucking Wizard of Oz in here. I know. <laughs> with all it's these controversial pot. ideas we're about to spit. That's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> now you sound like a rapper. Spit. I'm going to spit that. Spit. I don't know what that means. Spit it into the mic. Sometimes I know what things mean, but I say I don't know what it means because mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. admit that I actually know. <laughs> I shouldn't know, you know? I do know. All right, can you talk so I can hear you? Can you hear? I can hear. Can, can you hear can well? Yeah. Can you hear? Real chair? solid. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mm-hmm. I sit back on my chair, Mulligan. <laughs> uh, I take full advantage. You do. Jerry and I have the halls over here. I see that. I'll say what you some? got over there. Yeah, I'm good on the halls. I don't need those. No. Uh, I, I mean... I feel like they have such negative associations for me because the only time I'm ever like, if I'm like into halls, yeah, it's they're, like they're not really what you would consider to be a candy type no, of cough drop, like the no. Ludens, yeah, or exactly. Or the yeah. Smith Brothers, even when like the, bir- the, the Burt's Bees or whatever. Yeah, they have a good one. The Smith Brothers used to be almost like taking candy, and I yeah. said to my mom, "Hey, give me the Smith Brothers, mom, because I the nurse mm-hmm. let me." What about, school. what about Sucrets? Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. They came in a tin. Oh, they were good. Do you remember Fruit Stripe Gum? Sure. It would lose its flavor after like five seconds. Yeah, garbage, yeah but those yeah. are like the best five seconds <laughs> yeah. of your life. Really good, really good five seconds. That's exactly right. That's so many things in point. life like that. <laughs> All right, friends. Another episode of the bum, UFO bum, bum. Show. And today we have Fake Fred. Otherwise known as Mr. Jerry Mulligan. <laughs> Should I have brought a wig for this? Oh, no. That would have been a good that idea, would have been actually. Fantastic. He does like play with his hair the whole show. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. look like Fred. I don't mm-hmm. have the hair for that. No. You know, someday Fred is going to go bald. And you when think? that does happen, he might be 80 by the time it happens. Don't but you it put that evil on him. Yeah. Shit, don't, don't you put that evil on him. I feel like his Pantene endorsement is going to pay for anything that might, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It's a beautiful head of hair. Fred, you're here in spirit. He's out with TSO. And for those who are not into music, TSO stands for Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which for those who are not into music still might not know what that means. Uh, but it's, um, it's you're missing out. holiday musics mm-hmm. to a rock and roll or a rock slash metal theme, mm-hmm. if you can believe that or not. Mm-hmm. But good stuff. And we miss Fred. But we certainly are in the very capable hands of Sir Jerry Mulligan. <laughs> all excited over there. I, I know, I know. You can tell he's got something cooked. All up right, for James, us. you are yep. the ringleader of this uh, of this little gathering we have. Thank I'm you. turning it over to you, and um, I know what we're going to talk about tonight. But why don't you tell everybody else what we're going to talk about? So this is sort of a follow up from last episode. Last time we did aliens on the moon. If you haven't seen that one, definitely check it out. So this is the follow up. This is aliens on Mars. Dum, dum, so Julie, what were your thoughts from last time from doing that episode? Did it change your perception at all on what you think of the moon? Well, I think like, I mean, there's definitely there's so many more uh, like in depth 
theories on the like what I was really aware of, like what the moon actually is. Do you believe in the moon? That's hilarious. That's what I mean. Like now, I don't know if I do. You know, I, I mean, like and I didn't listen to that episode. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. We listened to a little bit of it. We, we? Were, yeah, we you you listened to a little bit of it with me. We listened to a lot of podcasts together, but you did catch a little bit of that one. We watched it. He part wasn't of a paying attention. He was. We talked about it a little bit because I just don't remember shit. No, right. that's that's also true. I mean, like any good husband, <laughs> my voice triggers it's like selective an, memory, an instant loss of memory for some reason. I like lull the you know. <laughs> I, I think you guys will like this one. It starts out fairly straightforward, but there's some twists and turns at the end. So I'm okay. interested in your thoughts on okay, it. Okay, cool. Before we even start, so Musk obviously wants to go to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, Mars. 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 Yeah. I was going to ask you if he is was... it him or Bezos that has the the hard on for the for Mars? Is it that's Elon Musk? Okay. Yeah, I, I was going to so, ask yeah. if he was uh, sponsoring this episode. <laughs> We're working on it. He can send the check anytime he'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't even miss it, I'm guaranteeing. <laughs> well, you know, that's gone back and forth, too, because with presidents, when President Obama was in, his big push was Mars. Mm-hmm. But then every time a president changes, then the whole direction of NASA can change. And so I wasn't as much about the direct shot to Mars because I thought officially, officially, we haven't been back to the moon since 1972 i'm thinking like let's go there first so then president trump gets in and he sort of cancels the mars side and says we need to get back to the moon first which i more personally agreed with but then now he's out and president biden hasn't really changed anything yet but to your points i think we almost might have to rely on commercial exploration because Mm. the official nasa thing even nasa like i know somebody at nasa and nasa's current space launch system is called the space launch system the sls and it has been so many hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that they basically told me look it's going to fly about one time just so they can justify the taxpayer expense and even the space launch system they are subcontracting out the lunar lander part and a lot of the different parts and so Who knows when it's actually going to get there? So one of the conspiracies we'll talk about at the end, just like we did last time, is this somewhat of an intentional stall so that as a public, we think we're not getting very far, but the real progress is happening behind the scenes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So on to Mars. A lot of people assume that since Mars is probably the most Earth-like world, that it's about the size of the Earth, and it's not. It's only about half the size of the Earth, because usually every year around August, there's this thing that comes out on social media, like Mars is going to look as big as the full moon, and people get like really, really psyched yeah, about yeah. it. Right. Uh, distance com- to Mars can also vary quite a lot. It is as close as about 45 million miles, but it can get much, much farther away. So NASA and other space agencies always try to sync their missions from when Earth and Mars are closest, because if they're not, it can be really, really far away. But still with our current technology, we're talking about months to get there. So definitely the most Earth-like world, and humans have had a fascination with Martians ever since probably at least the 1800s. But I always start this off with my students just to kind of show them that we also have to be really careful. So on the right, the right two Marses are drawings of Canali. So these were astronomers 
in the 1800s with decent telescopes starting to look at Mars. And so the idea was that there was a civilization living on Mars, but Mars was starting to dry out. And so they were trying to irrigate the polar ice caps to bring water to the more equatorial regions. What's interesting is part of this legend came because of an improper translation. So canali is an Italian word. It just means channels. That's it, which could be mm -hmm. natural. But people in America, <gasps> lazy with the Italian, saw canali. They're like, oh, it must mean canals. And so that's what birthed this entire legend. I just had this like epiphany that like, so my my, uh, my nickname when I was growing up was Julie Cannoli. And I, a <laughs> cannoli is like a tube. And yeah. so I'm wondering if the cannoli is sort of like named well, similarly to- give her some food. Uh, <laughs> I had, like I have pumpkin muffins right here. Look, it's, I'm sorry, side note, continue. Is this the Italian version of tomato, tomato, <laughs> cannoli, cannoli? Whatever. <laughs> Could be. What's sorry. interesting, no, no, that's good aside. But so on the left, we have two modern Marses as seen from Earth. And the interesting thing, you can see the astronomers from the 1800s weren't totally off. A lot of the darker areas match up, but so far, no canals. So tonight, I'm going to show you some things that are probably easily explained, some things that are quite a mystery. So probably want to kick things off with maybe the single most controversial yes. image ever photographed by NASA during their exploration of the inner solar system. Are you guys familiar with the so-called face on Mars? Yes, mm -hmm. looks okay. like Planet of the Apes guy. Yeah, it kind of does. Looks like the kind of, yeah. So Somewhat. here's the backstory with this one. Some of the most successful NASA interplanetary probe missions ever were the Vikings. So this is Viking 1 and 2 in 1976. And there were two different components. There was an orbiter that stayed around the planet and photographed it from space. And then there were landers. So we're going to talk about both of them tonight. So this face was caught by Viking 1 orbiter. And at the time, NASA just kind of released it to the public, not really thinking too much about the big commotion that it would cause but so this one immediately became a really big deal a lot of people claimed to not only see a face but if y'all look right here they almost thought they saw an egyptian style headdress mm -hmm. so a number of people especially those who are really into the ancient aliens hypothesis thought maybe civilization started here on mars and then eventually came to earth and that's who actually the Egyptians were. Now, NASA's take is a little bit different. So I'd like to give you both sides. So NASA said, this is simply a hillside and due to the angle of the sun at the time, it looks like a face. Further, if you all see those black dots there, those black dots are just points where the space probe returned no data. So it's kind of interesting that we have one black dot right there about where you would expect the nostril to right, be. Mm -hmm. right. So according to NASA, it was simply a hillside. What's interesting, because I read up a lot about the face and things on Mars, there are actually people at NASA who in later years off the record said, I was part of the Viking mission control. NASA was way more interested in this than they let on. We orbited Viking 1 over it many times. We photographed it at many different times a day. It always looked like a face. <laughs> the other interesting thing is for 20 years, NASA drugged their feet on re-photographing this area. This whole area of Mars is called the Cydonia region. Now, I'll throw it out there, you can decide. Once they finally do, due to public and political pressure, this is Mars Global Surveyor, late 90s, early 2000s, they re-image the face and you can see it certainly does look a lot more like an eroded hillside, but it's not this simple. I found out that NASA actually altered these photos before they came out to the public. They had higher resolution versions 
they gave the public lower resolution versions and they also altered the proportions of the picture so it wasn't correctly mapped anymore. And so I kind of think to myself, if it really is just a hillside, just give us the high resolution pictures. Why alter them at all? So it wasn't there like in the last presentation where you talking about how um, wasn't it someone's job at NASA to like go in and like alter? Yes. Okay. And she'll yeah. come back up today. Okay, yeah, because that right. comes back in with Mars. Okay. Now the other thing that adds intrigue, and I'm on the fence, but I want to throw it out there, is these structures are found near the face, which some people think are five-sided pyramids. Now, I'll show you a better view, like a three-quarters angle here. So up here, you can definitely see the face on Mars, and then people look at these structures and believe them to be five-sided pyramids, once again conjuring up like the Giza Plateau images. NASA says these are just products of wind erosion on Mars. So that's some of the debate with the face itself. We do have to be careful. This one was found by a regular person just like us on Google Mars in 2011, and nobody really thinks that this is an actual face like the face is. So instead of looking up, this face is looking to the side, and it looks like the profile of a heavyset balding man. Here's <laughs> the like eye. Like a seahorse. It looks yeah. like a dime. <laughs> it does look like the iron sheet. <laughs> who's, on, yeah. who's on the dime? Oh, I can't remember. Is it FDR, right? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he has a seahorse tail. Like or FDR. Coming off the head. Oh, I never head. even noticed that. So even believers in the ancient aliens hypothesis think this one is in face. So we do have to be careful because the human brain has a tendency for something called paradelia. And this is what partly sets the human mind apart is it's always active looking for shapes and patterns but sometimes it leads us to find things that are not really there. So I do have four video clips tonight. Hopefully we don't get in trouble. So the first one, I was looking for a really good one on just the face, couldn't really find it. But this is a three minute clip from Ancient Aliens on something else that was found on Mars that some people believe is another face. So check it out. Waterford, Virginia, 2017. Cydonia Institute researcher George Haas is combing through satellite images of Mars when he spies a discernible shape. It appears to be the image of another face. Unlike the original so-called face on Mars discovered in 1976, this face appears in profile. Sorry. Similar to that <laughs> of the Badlands Garden. Very crinkly. <laughs> so, in this area called Utopia, in a huge impact crater is the profiled face that has a beard, a mustache, and he's wearing a helmet that has an avian headdress. Avian headdress. When the bearded profile on Mars is compared to the Badlands Guardian, we see the same... On the right is the Badlands Guardian, which was found in Canada. ...avian iconography. One has a headdress and feathers. The other one is wearing a headdress that incorporates an entire bird. I think the culture that produced these formations on Mars had a direct relationship to the human race. Now, now full disclosure, me personally, I think this one is probably a natural product of erosion. I don't find it quite as convincing as some of the other ones, but I do like how they tie together Earth and Mars in the next minute. So let's just listen just a little bit more. Is an ancient story being told through geoglyphs that exist both on Earth and on our closest neighboring planet? And if so, what happened to those responsible for writing it? Perhaps civilization on Mars was destroyed. Or perhaps civilization began on Mars and then moved to Earth. 
Earth was in a sense seeded by a Martian civilization, and that is why we have similar structures on Mars and on planet Earth. So with the discovery of the face on Mars, is it possible that it's acting as a clue? It's telling us that somewhere here is evidence of a lost civilization that existed on the red planet perhaps millions of years ago. That's a very tantalizing possibility. And it's one that I know that every scientist going to Mars wants to answer. So we did talk last time when we did Aliens on the Moon, we let it off with what was called the Robertson panel. It was like a government think tank. And they had actually concluded that it was highly likely during our exploration of the inner solar system that we would find structures left over from other civilizations. So before we switch gears, what do you guys think about maybe just the face on Mars and the Cydonia region in general? I just go back to the point that the government does not give the public full resolution versions of anything. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why, because that immediately lets anyone paying attention go to the point that they're probably hiding something. The other thing that we're going to see is here in the 70s, the public basically got the images right when NASA got them. That changes around 1996. NASA puts out a reason, we're going to see it's a pretty sus reason, about why the public no longer gets things live. So anything that we do get at this point is heavily oh, filtered. Okay, just one aside, one question that I never understood. So I think in the late 60s during the Apollo missions, they were using like these Hasselblad com cameras, which are like were the state-of-the-art cameras at the time. Yes. But they were shooting film, and film, res film technology had been figured out 200 years prior to that or 100 years prior to that. So they film technology is amazingly detailed, especially in a Hasselblad camera. Mm -hmm. My, so would should we assume that the original photographs of the moon mm -hmm. that they were able to take probably have a hell of a lot more resolution in them than what they ultimately released? Oh, that's interesting. So we're lucky enough to have uh, NASA Hasselblad in our museum. It's really, really kick-ass. I think the Hasselblads were just still film cameras, but I forget the name of the actual video camera. You're right that they had them. One of the frustrating things with the Apollo missions is even the media was getting like second generation right from the start because what NASA did is, for example, Apollo 11, they were transmitting that down to their Australian tracking station at the time, which is in Goldstone, Australia. And then the image was inverted and all the media basically had to aim their own video cameras at the monitors hmm. and film the film from the monitors. So not only did you have that issue, but then years later, NASA accidentally deleted or threw away <laughs> almost all of the Apollo 11 footage. By Apollo 12, this is interesting, Apollo 12, they took the that first- ain't baby's first Christmas, what the <laughs> hell, guys? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, here we go. <laughs> on Apollo 12, they took the first actual color camera, and Alan Bean accidentally, when he was setting it up on the moon, points it directly at the sun, which apparently fried the camera. So no, no color video footage from Apollo 12. Apollo 13, you know the story. There was an explosion on board. What I never realized until I watched the Tom Hanks series from the Earth to the Moon, because it's not obvious in the actual movie Apollo 13. The explosion knocks out all the cameras on board Apollo 13, all of them. So 
NASA throughout that mission got no visuals with the astronauts. Everything was audio. So if you really think about it, 11, 12, and 13, they have next to no actual quality video from those missions, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Too suspect to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So little shift of gears here. Some people ask, do we already have evidence of life on Mars? And it's staring us right in the face, but people aren't paying attention. So what you're seeing here, I'll describe it. You can decide on your own. These are photographs from orbit of sand dunes near Mars's polar ice cap. And you have what looks like some people think are trees and vegetation growing up out of them. This is one of the areas on Mars that would have water ice pretty close to the surface. Now, NASA's take is very different. They say that this is simply dark sand in the sand dunes and it is gradually cascading down the dune to give the illusion of trees. But let me show you a couple more pictures. If you just showed me this and didn't give me a location, I would have assumed that this was a pine forest somewhere in northern Canada. But this is actually right near the northern polar ice cap on Mars. And so we have a couple shots of this. And so some people allege that we're already seeing vegetation on Mars that changes with the seasons. But mm. officially, this is just sand. Any thoughts on this one? Doesn't look like sand to me. No. It's interesting. What's the uh, perspective? Like, how how far zoomed are we? Can, do they have any idea, like, how big a tree would that be? Would it be 30 feet? Would it be 200 feet? Oh, that's a really good question. I would say that the dunes are probably equivalent to sand dunes on Earth. Maybe a little bit bigger because the atmosphere is officially thinner. Okay. I would say these would be smaller than redwood trees so okay. i think within to your question jerry i'd say within the the reasonable realm of trees gotcha yeah hmm. yeah that's a really good question uh so moving on then part of what frustrates the living heck out of people is how unscientifically nasa can go about things when they do find something so check this out this is 2004 opportunity rover so this photograph is taken of a rock on Mars. And so right away when people saw it, they thought, hey, that looks a heck of a lot like a fossil. So on the left from Earth, these are called crinoids. I use these a lot in college geology class. These are marine invertebrates, very, very common. So some people look what they found on Mars and then what we have here as fossils on the Earth. They thought, that's incredible. Now you would think logically, if NASA found something potentially this momentous, if you're a part of the rover control team, over the next couple of days, you'd like carefully reposition the rover, take pictures from different angles, bring in geologists. This is not what NASA does. They picked this rock out of all the rocks on Mars. They picked this one to test out their rock abrasion tool or rat, <laughs> which was a drill that this rover had. So they immediately pulverized what was a potential <laughs> fossil here. So this is the type of stuff that just drives people crazy. It's like, you don't want to immediately doubt NASA because there's brilliant men and women working there, dedicated men and women, scientists, engineers. But when you see stuff like this, it's so unscientific that you almost think there has to be a cover-up going on. It makes me yeah. even more suspicious. Mm -hmm. If it were a gang of like fraternity members who were just <laughs> had access to this equipment, <laughs> yeah. this is what you like, would okay, do. they found a potential fossil yeah. and they pulverize it. Yeah. That makes yeah. total sense yeah. to me. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the fact that they are some of the most brilliant minds probably on the planet, right. it makes it think so. more suspicious. It's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, like how would they not know right. that that's what they were doing? It's like, wild to me, too. Did they chalk it up to an accident where they were just like, oh, whoops, like it was an Is that what the... I, I read up on it, and they just thought that this rock would be a good target to actually <laughs> test on, but then they've obliterated that. And it's frustrating, too, because I don't think today 
humans would be all that upset to find fossils on Mars. Like we thought we did back in the 90s when that Martian meteorite hit Earth. Yeah, yeah. It was like ALH84001 and they thought there were fossils inside. I don't think that would be as traumatizing to people. Hmm. So this really totally surprised me. All right, now this one's my wheelhouse. This is my jam. So this is a conspiracy that probably people don't even realize is an actual conspiracy. Is NASA artificially changing the color of Mars to make it look less Earth-like? Is huh. there a chance Mars is actually quite habitable and this has been kept secret from the public? So up on the image, remember I said we had Viking orbiters and landers. So these are the landers and they were phenomenal pieces of equipment. They worked for many years. They couldn't move around like rovers, but they were basically weather stations. They could photograph things on Mars. Um, in the United States, there was actually a drive. Kids gave their lunch money back in like the 80s to try to fund NASA to keep these things going longer. <laughs> and then they finally eventually shut them down. But Thousands of kids were starving. I was say, you can eat now, honey. I say. <laughs> so if I showed you these two images, and I should have taken off the, the captions on them, you probably would assume the one on the left is the one that was actually like the quote unquote real picture of Mars because we're very used to Mars being the red planet. Right. Mm -hmm. The soil is iron oxide, which is basically rust. And because officially the air is very thin, the winds are very fast. It kicks the soil up into the air, makes the skies pink. What's fascinating is the right image is actually the original one. So huh. the Vikings were the first landers that actually did a soft landing and sent back images and it actually showed a blue sky just like earth and apparently later that day at mission control i read that a man who nobody knew walked into mission control and walked to every single monitor there and changed the color contrast to make it look more red now it didn't just happen here this still happens in modern times so if you check this out this is much more recent this is nasa's spirit and so this was in the 2000s. And what I want to call your attention to everybody is this right here. So this thing is called a gnomon, which is basically like a fancy sundial. So NASA would use this while it was on Mars to see where the shadow was to basically keep track of Martian time. But what I want to call your attention to are these four color swatches. We've got green, yellow, red, and blue. So when NASA colorizes these photographs, it's a little bit more complicated than just taking a color camera up and taking direct transmissions back. They basically have filter wheels. So how NASA knows that the color is correct is they set these colors on Earth. And since they know what these colors should look like on Earth, when they see them in the Martian atmosphere, they know how to adjust it. So basically, the rover is taking a selfie of itself to get these color swatches in. Hmm. Well, what people found, if you zoom in, in a lot of the images, the colors are way, way off. So this is supposed to be blue, it's blue, and yet in this official picture, it shows up as hot pink. And I had actually read where two different universities did studies of NASA photographs, and they both concluded, and they didn't speculate why, they're being very professional, but they both concluded for some unknown reason, NASA is artificially beefing up the red values and artificially dropping down the blue values for a lot of their Mars pictures. Hmm. And so we have to start to ask, how thick is the atmosphere of Mars really? Now, officially, officially, it's only one 150th the thickness of Earth's, and it's mostly carbon dioxide. So 
if the official status is correct, if you went to Mars, you would probably survive less than a minute. And I'm not sure whether you would suffocate first or whether the blood inside your body would start to boil due to the lack of pressure. But what's interesting, this picture comes from Mars Global Surveyor up in orbit. A lot of pictures of Mars have a very discernible bluish cast to them. This is called Rayleigh scattering. So like the moon wouldn't have this because the moon has no air. Okay. And so when you compare images of Mars, with images of Earth's atmosphere that astronauts are taking from the International Space Station, a lot of times it does look rather similar. So you kind of have to ask yourself, if the atmosphere is as thin as we're told it is, would we really get this nice bluish effect? So back to the colors just real quick. NASA has subtly started to recolorize it and take away some of the red. So on the right, we have the original red image from the Viking. And then at a press conference in 2014, same image, mountain in the background is the same. They've actually started to reduce the red so it now looks kind of normal. So here's what I'm actually getting to and I want to get your take on it. You might think to yourself, well, what's the big deal? Who cares if NASA makes it too red? What if way back in the 1970s when they land the Vikings there, they're expecting to find a very, very thin hostile atmosphere. Instead to their shock, they find not only a thick atmosphere, but very, very oxygen laden, maybe even enough that humans could just go there and breathe. Would they tell the public right away? And my take is from a military strategy standpoint, heck no, you wouldn't no, tell the public. Because right away, you're gonna be in a new space race with spacefaring countries like the Soviet Union just try to get there first. Kind of think of like the settlers racing to settle the mm -hmm. Western United States. Mm -hmm. So instead, if you promote this idea of a very, very paper thin atmosphere and a hostile world, right away that could buy the United States a couple decades to actually get there first and start setting up shop. So they'll no, tip off other countries. No yeah. other countries have sent like rovers to Mars yet? or Oh, that's an excellent question. Well, China, right? Um, China has done the moon okay. and they've done the lunar far side. I do not think as of this date they have done Mars. Now the Soviet Union was very successful with Venus. Mm -hmm. They've actually landed heavy duty probes on Venus, which the United States has never done. But interestingly, to the best of my knowledge, the United States, NASA, we are the only country that has ever actually landed on the surface of Mars itself, which is pretty mm -hmm. crazy if you think about it. That we're being told that we're being mm. told. The other interesting twist with the Vikings, if you look at the inset, and I did throw a Carl Sagan shout out in I right there, the there. man. But if you look at the inset, one of the other experiments that the Vikings did that officially has never been redone is they both tested positive for microbial life in the soil. And it was a simple experiment, it was really cool. So their scoops, which you can see there, scooped up some of the soil, they added liquid water to it, and right away they got back carbon dioxide and methane, which is both waste products of microbial life. Mm -hmm. And so they both tested positive for microbial life. And then NASA came out officially and said, no, 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 like we don't think this experiment worked right. But to this day, the scientist that created that experiment, I think he's still alive, he swears up and down that experiment was totally legit and that proved that there was life in the soil. So a lot of interesting mm -hmm. things on the Vikings. Yeah. Well, so, this changes everything. Well, I think, you know, I think potentially it could. Maybe I'm dead wrong. I did have, not to pimp my own work, but one of the only times I've been published, this is the British Phenomenon magazine. So Eric, if any of your listeners or viewers are interested, this was March 2020, issue 131. 
they were really, really good to work for. So I did have an article published, Is the Habitability of Mars Being Kept Secret? Good deal. And um, it's pretty interesting because we assume, we assume that the air is really, really thin. But in actually reading how they figured it out at first, it's not nearly as definite as you think. So the dude you see there was a Harvard astronomer named Donald Menzel. And I went and found his actual paper where he is basically the authoritative voice on the air being really thin. But here's what he did. He based it on the premise that rocks on Mars should be colored similarly to rocks in the desert in the Southwest United States. So he basically said, if rocks on Earth are colored this way, rocks on Mars are colored this way, then this amount of atmosphere would explain the difference. But like, I totally disagree with that because it assumes that the rocks are the same color and they might not be. The other weird thing with Menzel, if you've heard of Majestic 12, yes. which was like that super yes. secret UFO group that President Truman established, yeah. when the names of the men on it were finally leaked, it was a lot of like military guys and political appointees and then this dude shows up, Menzel, which shocked everybody because publicly, this guy was one of the biggest UFO critics that there was. Wow. And so at first when people saw this guy's name, they thought, oh, well, this has to be a hoax. But people now think there's a good chance it was legit. Publicly, this guy was a major debunker of UFOs, but then behind the scenes, this guy may have potentially been on the take. So mm. what's interesting to me is so many things in science we're basically told are totally proven and legit, but then when you actually like look mm -hmm. at how they figured it out, it's not as certain as you think it was. Let me ask you something. Could that be a reason why they would be uh, filtering the images? Because he was basically saying the whole premise behind the atmosphere being so thin was that the color of the rocks was different. I think there's a very good chance of that myself. You know, yeah, they yeah. were basically proving his hypothesis for him. Yeah, I think that's a great call, Jerry. You yeah. know? Yeah. What's the temperature on Mars? Oh, that's a great question. So during the Martian summers, because Mars is tilted about like Earth, so it mm -hmm. actually has four seasons like the Earth. During Martian summers around the equator, it gets up to about 65 degrees Fahrenheit, which is warmer than it is here in Coriopolis today. But officially, officially, with the air so thin, if you were there, it wouldn't actually feel warm because the air is so thin. But what I find fascinating, and this will be one of our plot twists right at the end, people who have supposedly been in secret Mars programs and been to Mars, one subtle thing that they all say, which fascinates me, none of them say they have to wear spacesuits when they're actually on Mars. So, so wait, isn't the, okay, the official story is that no one has been to Mars, correct? That's correct. But there's people that are saying that they have been. Yes, through okay. like secret black budget programs, like through DARPA and stuff like that. And okay. so I'll show you both sides of that one okay. a little bit later okay. on. Yeah. I feel like the only thing I know about like Mars is that movie, what was the one, Martian? Is that what it was called? The Martian. The Martian. That was such a good movie. I love when he's like making the potatoes. That's uh -huh. like my favorite part of the I know. whole movie. <laughs> he uh, runs out of ketchup yeah. at the end and he's just like furious. Yeah. <laughs> totally the adversity in that movie. It's so good. So the other thing that we get from the Vikings that's never been seen again Besides is... the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> when is the last time Vikings were in the Super Bowl? It was they like early on. Then. No, they, was it like Super Bowl three or so? They, it they was lost like, the Steelers in the night, Super Bowl nine. Oh, yeah, that was like 76, mm. right? Yeah, that's true. 
Uh, so this is Sorry. the other thing that we get. No. <laughs> Are you a Vikings fan? No. Okay. <laughs> Good call. No. Yeah. <laughs> that was a solid choice. I was like, Oakland A's, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, That'd be no, no connection mix. there, buddy. Okay. There's a lot of criminals. Okay. <laughs> so this is the other thing that we get from the Viking probes. These, as far as I know, are the only space probes on Mars that have ever given us shots of frost and snow on Mars. So here's a beautiful shot. Here's another beautiful shot. You can clearly see it. And so I wonder to myself, what happened to all the frost and snow? Why over the last 40 years have we not gotten any shots like this? And we global warming. <laughs> Just a different Mar globe. Martian warning. Warming. <laughs> what, Martian we, what we do have, though, and maybe this was accidentally leaked out. Check this out. Tell me what I think. This is 2008. This is the Phoenix Lander. So no actual rover. It just sat there, and okay. its longevity was not nearly as much as the Vikings. But if you look back here at this strut, when it was taken a selfie, you have on the legs what some people think is probably liquid water. Now, if you just had this one shot, you might say, well, it was like dust on the lens or maybe not the whole picture came back. Check this out. Side by side by side, oh. not only do you see these things, but they're actually growing in size. Yeah. And so this is actually a pretty big deal because again, officially, if the atmosphere is super thin, if you tried to even pour liquid water on Mars, it would just boil off right away. Okay. Like, you know how if you're ever making like a bag of rice and it'll say like yeah. if you're at a certain yeah. elevation. So the air is so thin, it should boil off. But this basically proves if that is water. It looks like water droplets. Yeah, to me, it looks like water droplets. So I think that's actually pretty interesting. What does sublimate mean? Oh, that's a phenomenal question. Sublimate means that it basically goes directly to a gas from yeah. a solid, like dry mm. ice would sublimate. Uh, they used to think that Mars's northern polar ice caps were mostly carbon dioxide, like dry ice, but they now think they might be water ice. And mm. this one actually landed pretty close to the caps. That's a good question. It's like when you pull your so, wallet out for a kid and you can't the money, he just money just goes. You're so gonna, you'll find this out someday. Basically, you that's, your money just sublimates into nothing. It does. <laughs> so that's kind of skipping condensation, right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly, exactly what it does. Right. Like comet okay. tails do the same so, thing. So I want to make oh. sure I understand. So if there's a high salt content, is that because oh. it increases, like how you put salt in water if you want right. it to boiler, boil faster? Yeah. Yeah, You're exactly I, right. So their their only theory on this that totally ignores the atmospheric idea, and I didn't mention it, but you're exactly right. They hypothesize that all the salt content in the soil of Mars made the water salty enough that it didn't boil off like it should. So uh, yeah, yeah, that was a good spot on your part. I just kind of skipped over that one. So I alluded to this earlier. This is one of the frustrating things to me. People don't realize anything we see from space programs, none of it is live anymore. It used to be live, but it's not anymore. And the reason to me is a little bit sus. So here's the actual history of it. The first Mars mission that was no longer live was Global Surveyor 96. So the man on the right is a scientist and engineer. I'm not a big fan. His name's Michael Malin, and his company actually designed all of the cameras for Global Surveyor, his Malin space or science systems. And so NASA actually came out and said, because this guy made the cameras, he has the proprietary rights to all of these pictures first. So Michael Malin has to approve all the pictures 
before it goes out to the public. And to that, I say hot garbage. But that's so anti-government <laughs> policy, right? right. It's public right. money. That, right. Yeah. It's like a couple hundred million dollar taxpayer funded mission. Yeah. This dude's yeah. basically like a subcontractor. Like, why mm. would he have any say over yeah, that? Yeah, that's some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And look at him looking all smug. Yeah, like, about that. He's getting away with some shit. Smug fuck. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of these scientists drive me crazy. All right. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot. Yeah. <coughs> or is it? So we got some surface anomalies. It? So this was from 2004 from Spirit. And what you see here is dubbed the Martian Bigfoot. So you can see clearly like a crater rim right here. And then we have what some people think is actually Bigfoot. So that opens up a whole separate can of worms. Because obviously here on Earth, Bigfoot is still debated to this day. Even if it's a rock outcrop, though, I question how delicate some of the features are. Like, you can see, like, this, like, narrow little appendage sticking out. Because, like the moon, if Mars's atmosphere is really thin, it's supposed to be, like, weather-beaten over millions of years of impacts. And so it's interesting that they could have such delicate features. Now, the next one isn't as awesome as Bigfoot, but I think it might even be more compelling. Check this one out. This is called the knob. So this was found in 2013. Well, that's what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, 12 year old moment. <laughs> that was worth it. They actually call you a bell end, but we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> so we got a bunch of Mars rocks here, just kind of doing their Mars rock thing, and then sticking right up out of bird? it. Well, it looks like a trailer hitch. We've just got this metal knob, and so. NASA did comment on it, and they basically said, well, it's only two centimeters high. Now, in fairness, if you look back at this it is image. Jerry. <laughs> 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 we I opened the door to that one. We you wouldn't did. have stayed married that long. I like that. Eric McKenna Project After Hours. <laughs> I know. This is what happens when you bring no us here at night. Thing. No such thing. <laughs> so if you look at this image, like there's nothing of the rover itself that's in here to provide any scale. But I've right. also noticed anytime something weird shows up, Right away, NASA's like, well, it's just like really small. So you think, oh, well, because it's so small, anything can look weird. But that one was kind of odd to me. Now, Julie alluded to this earlier, and I just want to throw this back out there. We have had multiple NASA employees, very brave, turn whistleblower over the years. And they basically said their job at NASA was to airbrush things off the surface of the moon, off the surface of Mars, okay. out of Earth orbit that would have alarmed the public. And we've just got one example there. Um, and you can actually Google search this yeah, and cross-reference it. Yeah, that doesn't look right at all. No, mm -hmm. it doesn't, right? So you, everything looks focused super clear, in scale. And then you've got this like blur. Right, this super big blurry thing right there. It's like they're not even trying. I know, right? <laughs> a shitty airbrush they, job. They just put the interns on it. <laughs> just like put something else in there. You I know, know I mean, right? these models can airbrush their bodies perfectly. Like you can't like get someone at NASA to make this right. look believable. Obviously not. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It is funny, too, because years ago, I was so mad at myself for not saving it. Because you have to remember, like, anything you see online could just be gone just yeah. like that. So mm -hmm. anymore, like, friends listening at home, anytime you find anything interesting online, save a backup, go to a video downloading site, save the actual video. Because anymore in this day and age, yeah. like, there's a cyber war of information going off. Something good mm -hmm. is out, it's gone. But I remember years ago, NASA put out their first high-resolution pole-to-pole image of the moon and right away people found things that just look like terrible Photoshop jobs like people basically cut out pieces of moon terrain <laughs> that didn't match texture wise or lighting wise and basically plopped them right over things people at NASA were doing this 
And people are like, man, this looks crazy. Like, what are they covering up there? Windows paint. Yeah, it was seriously <laughs> like windows, windows paint. paint. But then a couple yeah. months later, I went back. It was just all gone. I thought, son of a gun, I should have saved that because mm. those were probably locations where there were like really, really interesting things. There'd be no mm. reason with all the technology today for them to do a bad job covering shit up. Yeah, there really is no excuse yeah. for that. Yeah. Right? I'm kind of more offended about the fact that they're they just can't, they can't doing such a up right. terrible job. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> they got to the moon, they can't use Photoshop? I mean, it's criminal <laughs> behavior, but it's bad criminal behavior. Yeah. Exactly. Who are they hiring? God. It's insulting my intelligence. We have people that do flyers for us that could do a better job. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So this one was Curiosity April 2013. Look out in the background there. You see what looks like a bright light coming up out of the surface. So NASA commented on this one. They said it was either a cosmic ray hit on the camera or a reflection off of a rock out there. Now, I'm not an image expert, but... It's like a flame. If you look, yeah, if you look at zooming in, notice the bottom is flat and then mm -hmm. it flares up. And to me, even if it doesn't involve aliens, like what if it's a water geyser or like volcanic outgassing? Maybe we find out the Mars is a lot more active than we thought. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, what NASA wasn't banking on is how smart people were. People went into the raw image database for the rover and a day later, they had moved the rover around the hill and that same bright thing was still out there. Uh, so the chances of it being like two identical cosmic ray hits right. or like the same reflection. Or a reflection, totally. yeah. Right. Totally if it was impossible. an anomaly, it's it's now astronomical what the odds would be for that to show up like that again. Exactly. Yeah. And it's almost like when they drilled into that rock and obliterated that potential fossil, like you'd think if you saw something like this right away, drive the rover over there, get scientists mm -hmm. together, right, right, never right, actually right. It's like happens. they're deliberately like looking away. Yes. And I'm sure mm -hmm. they're not privately actually looking away simply yeah. because like we said these are very intelligent people like mm -hmm. with the uh, the pioneer spirit of scientific curiosity mm -hmm. like you serious like they really didn't look at that rock up close like and really examine it before they just destroyed it sure yeah and then i'm not yeah. even saying necessarily like oh it is a huge conspiracy there are aliens up there they're definitely keeping it from us right possible but it's just like but if there's not why even yeah. go to go to the aggravation to, to cover anything up if, no. it, if there's truly nothing there uh, right I, I then guess why spend all the time in aggravation to worry mm -hmm. about it what I'm looking at is like it's not always like this huge like oh well there's aliens and that you it's know. little pieces sometimes there's mm -hmm. there's another explanation like you were saying maybe Mars is habitable and mm -hmm. we don't want right. other nations right. to know that but I just have a hard time swallowing I think kind of your point, you know, the way they went about this, like, oh, here's an anomaly. Let's not investigate that at all. Like, is that how right. Like, is that how we got where we're at scientifically right. from yeah. not investigating anomalies? Like, that's how some of the biggest discoveries have been made. Amen. Mm -hmm. I think people also don't realize parts of these missions are probably classified. So we think to ourselves, well, like these scientists, like, why would they cover it up? I really think there are parts of these missions that are classified, that are high security, that they are basically ushered out of the room. Like for example, on the space shuttle missions, there were a number of those missions that put up classified payloads. And so my guess is people who were at mission control, if they didn't have the top security clearance, when those payloads were actually deployed, they would bring in a separate group of people, those things are put out, then got they it. leave. And yeah, so I, I think some of these missions, there's parts that are basically classified to it. So I got my second video coming up and if people who have been watching are thinking, man, I'm kind of disappointed there's not enough creepy alien stuff, buckle <laughs> up, here it comes. <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> so there have been a lot of Mars probes, and I mean a lot, that have either malfunctioned, gone missing, 
been destroyed, totally disappeared. It's such a high rate that people actually joke that there is a galactic ghoul trying to keep humans away from Mars. Now, these probes, are these ones that are intended to just orbit, or are these ones that are intended to actually land? Both. Okay. Yeah. And so, it, yes. these two right here, the, yes. this China and... Were they? You, you said that they didn't have um, any other countries that have landed on Mars. Is it sort of these failed ones? Or oh, that's a great question. So that it does look like the Chinese flag. That's actually uh, the Soviet flag. Yeah. Um, oh. No, that's okay. Easy mistake to make. So um, <laughs> the Soviets had a bunch of orbiters, but then they also had attempted landers, like Phobos Grunt was attempting to land on one of Mars's asteroid moons and it also failed and we'll see one of the super creepy things that happened to one of their Phobos missions. So quick okay. aside, Mars and Earth are the only inner solar system worlds that have moons. So Earth has one moon, Luna. Mars has two moons, but they're- Wait, what do you mean? Like, doesn't Jupiter have moons? Yes, uh, inner solar system world. So like so Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. The, that's the, the inner? The break okay. is Mars oh, okay. to Jupiter. Got yeah, it. yeah. Got is it. that no, where the asteroid belt is at? Yep, yeah. mm, that's okay. exactly where the asteroid belt is. Good question. Huh. So Mars's moons the are Van Halen very belt. Yeah, how about that? Van Halen belt. <laughs> 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 I didn't get that, but I still laughed. It's fucking silly. the Van Allen belt, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. They call it the Van Halen belt. Right, right. That's a separate Dave. conspiracy. Dave. <laughs> So these moons are supposed to be captured asteroids. So at some point they got too close to Mars. Mars sucked them in with its gravitational pull. What's creepy about Phobos in particular, it and our own moon are the only bodies in the solar system so far that gravity readings suggest they're mostly hollow inside. Oh, wow. So just like with our own moon, you had like the hollow moon theory yeah, uh -huh. with Phobos, mostly hollow inside. And so this mm. isn't actually a conspiracy. This is known. The only explanation I've seen to try to explain this, I don't totally buy, is they suggested that Phobos is actually just like a pile of rubble that's floating around Mars that got covered with dust, so it looks like a whole asteroid, which I don't buy at all. So before I show you what happened to Phobos, did want to give a shout out to the men and women at NASA, and I do need everybody to like, everybody listening to respect how difficult a space mission would actually be. So like, you're launching from a planet Earth that's moving about 28,000 miles per hour around the sun. You're sending this probe hundreds of millions of miles in space on its own, and then it's either got to land or orbit on another planet that's going thousands and thousands of miles an hour. So we would lose some, but have we lost too many? So this was the creepy story of the Soviet Phobos II. Just as it was getting close to Phobos, something collides with it and totally destroys the probe. And the crazy thing is the Soviets actually have the last couple frames photographed before the probe gets destroyed. Oh, get up. So we got our second video clip here. This one comes from the Science Channel, which is very good. This is NASA's Unexplained Files. The Red Planet has always fascinated mankind, but it is a dangerous obsession. To date, over half the missions to Mars have failed. T-minus 20 seconds. December 11, 1998. We have ignition and we have liftoff. We continue to explore the mysteries of the Red Planet. A Delta II rocket carries NASA's $125 million Mars Climate Orbiter on the first leg of its journey to the Red Planet. So there's a lot of anticipation that this 
mission is going to succeed, get an orbit around Mars, and help us understand the global properties of that planet. On September 23rd, nine months after its launch, the probe begins to decelerate as it enters Mars's orbit and disappears behind the red planet. We expect it to be out of communication as it breaks around the far side of the planet. It's a period of nervousness, though. We will all breathe a sigh of relief when we finally hear from it. The team expects the orbiter to be out of contact with mission control for just one hour. But after 90 minutes, there is still no sign of the probe. The probe is dead. No fewer than 15 probes have been lost. They've come from NASA, Russia, China, and the UK. They've all failed. In 1989, the Russian Phobos-2 probe is taking pictures of the Martian surface when, bam, something hits it and spirals out of control. The Soviet space agency loses all contact with the probe, but not before it beams back the image from its final moments. Mm. Wait, what? There's no mistaking it. The image is of a huge cylindrical object about 12 miles long. So, check it out. 12 miles. So, real quick aside, it's not all aliens. One of the NASA probes, and this was embarrassing for NASA, one of the NASA probes that was lost was because one group of engineers was using the U.S. system. <laughs> the other group was using the metric system. Oh, you got to be oh, No, and they God. didn't realize it until the probe was there. So, any kids listening, like in high school, if you're mad that your teachers are getting on your case about proper units, this actually did cost NASA a couple hundred million dollars space probe. But here's the thing with Phobos, and wow. this was crazy. So the Soviets were actually pretty open about this. This is one of their cosmonauts, Marina Popovich. She goes on a speaking tour, including stops in the United States, and she shows one of the last pictures. So here you can see the moon Phobos, and then she claimed, the Soviets claimed, that this anomalous object came in out of nowhere and destroyed the probe. Now, NASA said, that's not a real object. That's just an image artifact. But then the video showed this was one of the last pictures Phobos 2 sent back was this massive disc-shaped shadow racing across the surface of the moon before the probe was destroyed. And there's a side urban legend that that wasn't the last picture, that there was one more, but it supposedly upset the Soviets so much they went directly to the Vatican about it. So that one isn't proven, but Wait, we do Soviets have that. The Soviets don't vision. believe anything. Right? What's that? The, 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 so communism doesn't, communism doesn't have a religious bent to it. I it don't know, though. I think the communists went to the Vatican. I think the I think most Russians. I think overall, I think they're uh, are pretty religious. So I could see really? this upsetting their worldview. I didn't think communism was permitted. Religion was permitted. In I don't. Well, that part's just the urban legend. Okay. But I did want to throw it out there that there was apparently one more picture after that one that the public did not see, okay. and they went to the Vatican with it. Okay. Well, once it's there, you can forget about that ever service. <laughs> I guess I was just curious, like, what they, like, what were they seeking from the Vatican? Like, just comfort? Consolation. <laughs> yeah, I would say okay. so. I want an explanation, damn it. Well, a lot of people feel like the Vatican knows more about extraterrestrial life oh, well, than you're, you're almost anybody. You're ruining it, because that was going to be my suggestion for the next show. But Oh, we could okay. totally do that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. We could do all kinds of Vatican conspiracies, yeah. especially with what's going on right now. I, yeah, right I think, on. I don't want to get us off track but I think this is a good time to ask if did you read Dark Mission? Yes thank you for asking that a lot of this like my background for it comes from Dark Mission did you read it? 
I started to read it. It's heavy. Yeah, it's no, I was really interested in it. Yeah. But through a chain of consequences that I won't go into, I gave it to one of my neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Well, that wasn't a bad idea. I gave it, it to one of our neighbors. Kind of act, it was an act of aggression <laughs> that I can't quite explain to you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I didn't really get into it uh, when you were when you were going through the pyramid and the face. That's how Dark Mission starts. Yeah. And I was really wrapped up and involved in it. This is kind of one of those stories I... Mm-hmm. One of these books where I tell people about the book. It's like Future mm-hmm. Shock. Yeah. yeah. I have not read it, but I talk about it a lot. I yeah. probably read it. Right? Yeah, he sent me to, d- to deliver no, it. No, and the, the reason I'm asking him. is because there was a really, really interesting... Like, the premise that I picked up was basically that in NASA, there's three different factions. That there's the Masonic faction... Mm-hmm. Um, what do they call they it? They said, like, the magicians. The magicians. Like Jack Parsons. Yeah. Yeah, and what was the other one? Was it the uh, CIA? I think so. The CIA, yeah. the magicians. And I don't know who the hell the magicians were supposed to be. Yeah. But, yeah, they talk about how there was all kind of Masonic rituals, the degrees on the moon when they landed, that it lines up with certain Masonic uh, rituals and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. Anybody listening, like, if you're really into that stuff, the book Jerry mentioned is is really, really intense. It's written by Richard Hoagland and Mike Barra. And interestingly, Hoagland actually got invited in by NASA on multiple occasions to actually present to their own engineers his own photographic analysis where he was showing them that he really thought there were structures on the moon. And so he would make these presentations just totally stunned audiences and nobody really contradicted him, but then it just got to the point where they just stopped bringing him back. (laughs) So it's definitely a heavy read. Like you can tell how much Hoagland and Barra have been attacked because when they're writing the book, they're almost writing it defensively, mm-hmm. like trying to quelch any counter strikes. And so it's not like a smooth read, but it's definitely got a lot of really good stuff in it. The Masonic stuff is interesting because um, the man who actually oops picked a lot of the Apollo landing sites, uh, they sort of question why did you pick the sites that they did and officially it was because of like the geological interest but there is a lot it seems like there's a lot of symbolism behind the numerology of the places that they picked yeah Mm -hmm. it's more mathematical yeah Mm -hmm. i did read about yeah when they were landing um supposedly they were saying that buzz aldrin or somebody was a supposedly a mason oh he definitely is a mason he has his masonic ring on in a lot of the pictures yeah and they theorized that they hung what they put the uh, united states flag out first but then they put a Masonic flag out on oh, the moon. Oh, that's interesting. I think that was, I swear that was in the book and, yeah. and I think I saw a picture. It might have been Photoshop, but it was like a picture of the Masonic flag on the moon too. I would like to see that. I need to go back and actually read that. Maybe buy another Re- copy. Repurchase it. Yeah. Yeah, the neighbor's not going to give that one back. No, yeah. they're not our neighbor anymore, so. <laughs> the, the, the dynamic. There's a story there. <laughs> the dynamic between does. Neil and Buzz is interesting because like Buzz Aldrin was a Catholic too. Like he basically like gave himself communion on the moon. It was really big deal. But oh. like Neil Armstrong was like totally like agnostic like not into any religion at all so like I think there was tension between those two because like Buzz is trying to look at like the ritualistic symbolic purposes Mm -hmm. but Armstrong's just like all business like he Mm -hmm. didn't like that because it took away from what they were trying to do on the moon he was distracted with those aliens on the ridge he was dealing with that's a possibility (laughs) possibility so 
Oh, man, perfect segue. Speaking of Buzz Aldrin. So this was also found on Phobos. Now, initially, if I saw this, I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's probably just like a rectangular rock. But this one became known as the Phobos monolith. And as soon as you see it, to me, it conjures up visions of 2001 A Space Odyssey when you see the big black Mm -hmm. monolith. And so this is Buzz Aldrin's quote. There's a monolith there, a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that goes around Mars once every seven hours. When people find out about it, they're going to say, who put it there? Who put it there? Well, the universe put it there, or if you choose, God put it there. How about that? Yeah. So Phobos is interesting. Mostly hollow inside. You've got this thing on the surface. Every time, I think they've made three attempts so far that the Soviet Union tries to get close to it or land on it, something ends up going wrong. So kind of an interesting one, Phobos. Hmm. So... The last, I got two more plot twists to go. Is there a chance that we're already on Mars? Right on. And I think I think this one will be good. But I also feel like I'm like talking too much. No, you guys like no, 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 we're into it. Yeah, right. it's great, man. All right, so this is the stuff that I really love. So the premise here is our actual space program is well, well in advance of what we as the public see. So one quote that I think I mentioned last time was Ben Rich, the head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, basically said, we already have spaceships that can take us to the stars. Anything that you can think about, we can already do, but it's buried so deep in black budget projects, it would take an act of God to ever get out. So when you look at things he like that. He said this. He said that, yeah. Oh, like no that's way. a, that's that a would, confirmed that we're quote. we're doing it or we can do it. That we're already doing it. That we're already getting out there to the stars, but people will never actually see it. So hmm. can we talk about black budgets for a second Please. and how they relate to this? Because this yes. is the thing I don't understand. So. I know it's easy for the public to think about all the news over the years about you know uh, tax increases or what we they spend, and it becomes funny money to all of us. We hear like, first when we were kids, we heard billions. Billions was an amazing number that was so much more because a million meant something. Mm-hmm. Million doesn't mean anything anymore. Billions aren't that amazing anymore. Now it's trillions. Now it's trillions. Mm-hmm. At some point. The amount of money it would take to do a black budget project in a secret way, like build a colony on Mars, you kind of think that the number is so astronomical that there wouldn't be enough commerce and human capital in this country to create that wealth to make that happen. It's almost too, it almost would require too much money. Like, how could they possibly? get that done and hide that amount of money. Do you know what I mean? Like it's such a huge amount oh, I required. Know. I know. I have a separate presentation. I don't know whether people would find it interesting or boring. It's just called the money conspiracy. Mm. And partly <laughs> is that your jam, Jerry? Yeah, a little bit. Oh man, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I've read up a lot on the Federal Reserve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They basically just print money just yep. out of thin air at this yep. point. It's basically, no longer on a gold standard that, silver right. standard. That would, have, that would have to happen. Yeah. We would have to be printing money expressly for one, and then just moving that money off the well, press to, for that one particular reason. Yep. And now, to throw a, a space metaphor, to tilt that whole thing on another axis yeah. is cryptocurrency and all the different possibilities that, you know what I mean? Because right. it's not like a typical, mm-hmm. it, it's not like a, a, a nation's currency. Yeah, yeah um, it's all just digital code. All right, mm-hmm. put it on the list. We're going to do that. And we're yeah. going to get yeah. him back for that one, too. That'd be great. We might do our first five-person show. <laughs> I'll actually, oh, I'll actually do some research this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a lot of people don't realize on September 10th, 
2001, Donald Rumsfeld yeah. is testifying. Yep. It admits admits they lost track of 2.3 trillion dollars, yeah. not billion with a B, trillion dollars, and people this were 20 years ago outraged. But everybody knows what happened the very next day. So to me, not to get down a whole separate rabbit right. hole, I almost think. Wait, they I missed the date. Was that right before 9-11? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it was the day, the day before. before. So I almost feel like they released it to have it on the record, maybe knowing something was going to happen the next day. But right there is your secret space program right there. $2.3 trillion. Are you kidding me? That would easily do that. So there are actually a number of accounts, and I'll give you both sides of the story, and I have a really crazy video clip, okay. that we are already on Mars. Now, this one came out. Have you guys all, are you all familiar with Coast to Coast AM? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was, Art, George, Art George Knapp does it now, but Art was Art a real Bell. Art Bell. Yeah, mm-hmm. Art Bell. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Does Knapp have it now? I think so. And partly what's impressive about those guys, they would get crazy callers, like crazy callers, but they never judged anybody. They were super mm-hmm. objective, supportive. They just let people tell their stories. This one was really intriguing. A woman who identified herself only as Jackie calls in, and she said, back in the 70s, she was actually on NASA's Viking mission control team. And she said, to her shock one day on the video monitors, they saw two men in protective suits. She said, not full space suits like what the Apollo astronauts wear, but protective suits walk right up to the lander and start to inspect it and service it. That's so freaky. And she said immediately in the main mission control room, they ran up and put like butcher paper on the glass doors and then like taped it shut so nobody can see it. Because the layout of mission control, like from the movie Apollo 13, everybody thinks about the main room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is every one of those people has like a pyramid of people under them in other support rooms. So Jackie basically said, she was one of those support people. They saw this on their monitors, ran up to the main mission control room, and then they papered all the glass doors shut. So it's a phenomenal story, and we'll tie into it at the end. Now, here's my only beef with the story. Reading up on Viking 1 itself, officially, it did not have video capabilities. It only actually had photography, and then the images would be back line by line, because <coughs> this is the 1970s. So maybe it's a good hoax, but we have more. So in more recent years, when rovers would take selfies of themselves, people saw in the silhouette of the shadows what looked like humans actually working on the space probes. Hmm. So you can probably spot the alleged human right here. You can see looks like hair, then Hmm. goggles, then some type of backpack, leaning over, arms stretching out. But then skeptics take a good look at the actual dynamics, the layout of the rover. They say, no, no, there are certain appendages on the rover that if the sun hits them the right way, they're gonna actually look like a person. Here's another one from Curiosity. You have what looks like the regular shadow like you would expect, then what some people say is a person actually working on it. All right, now here's my next video clip, and this rabbit hole is deep. I'm gonna say up front, I think this one is a hoax, but the video clip is really good. If somebody photoshopped that they really know what they were doing. Have you guys heard of Project Red Sun at all? No. Most people haven't heard of this one. This is allegedly Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, except they're not walking on the surface of moon, they're walking on the surface of Mars. So this was supposedly a secret mission to Mars in the early 1970s where they used a modified Saturn V rocket. Hmm. They apparently went 
with Elliot C., who was another NASA astronaut. Now, right up front, there's some major issues with this one. For starters, ever since they got back from the moon, Neil and Buzz were very, very public figures. For like a year straight, they were on a worldwide goodwill tour. Right. And I read um, Buzz Aldrin's autobiography. <clears throat> this led him to really struggle with alcoholism. It basically ended his first marriage. And so these guys were all over the place. So the idea that they would suddenly disappear for an entire year doesn't really seem likely. The even more unlikely thing is this would require one man to be brought back from the dead. So the reason that people don't know the name Elliot C is because he was training to be an Apollo astronaut, but his T-38 jet actually crashes. It just slides right into a hangar when he was trying to land in St. Louis. So he dies. He never gets to go on a moon mission. So right at the start, it does seem kind of preposterous. Now, my personal guess is <clears throat> If these aren't photoshopped, these might be pictures of the men training in a desert out west because a lot of times the Apollo astronauts would train in these deserts because they were very similar to the moon. However, there is footage from supposed Project Red Sun. So I'm going to show this and there's no actual audio with this one. It's okay. just visuals. And while I'm showing it, I'll share one of my other big concerns with it as we kind of watch this. So okay. this is kind of almost Apollo 20 style. This is supposedly found footage from a Project Red Sun. Now, as we watch, here's one of my other big beefs. This was supposedly done with a modified Saturn V rocket and an Apollo capsule. The longest moon mission at this point is Apollo 17, which is 1972. Four days to the moon, about three days on the moon, and then four days back. So that's 11 days total. And that was really straining the life support. As you watch this whiteboard or this notepad pop up, you're going to see it gets up to about 158 days to get out to Mars, which would still be really pushing it. So as we watch, this is supposedly they are far enough away now, you can see Earth and Moon in frame together. Okay. The really good part, though, that, man, if it's photoshopped, it's well done, is when they actually get to Mars. So this is supposedly them moving farther and farther away. By the way, if we haven't had an Apollo 20 episode, we need to have an Apollo 20 episode. Okay, so day 100, then you're going to quickly see day 158. And one of the concerns here is if you actually sh panned around and you saw Neil and Buzz like floating in the capsule, that would add a lot more credibility. So supposedly now a good five months in, we're actually at Mars. Now, I want to dismiss this whole thing as a hoax. This footage is damn good. You see Mars through the window, yes. and then you also see a cloud layer rolling over top of Mars. It is consistent with Apollo footage from the early 70s. The other interesting thing is you're going to see the camera go in and out of focus as it tries to focus on the porthole yeah. window and then out the window actually on Mars. So I think to myself, if somebody hoaxed it, they probably took space probe footage of Mars and then superimposed this. But I've never seen footage of Mars like this from a space probe. Now to me... This is the smoking gun that it's probably hoaxed. A Saturn V rocket does not have this extra appendage out here on it. My guess is this was actually footage from the International Space Station over Earth, but then they photoshopped Mars in the background. Back here, you can see the biggest canyon in the solar system, the Valley of the Mariner, Valley's Mariner. Okay. 
but damn it's still really good like it's easier to photoshop a still image to actually photoshop an entire video right. to me would be very very challenging right. because you're talking frame about by frame yeah photoshopping thousands of frames so overall there's mars's northern polar ice cap right there overall i think it was probably hoaxed by taking actual footage from space probes and basically photoshopping this stuff in that's but a big photoshop job the photoshopping is really really good the other issue i have it would almost be more believable to me if they said that they did it with like black budget technology like to take a spaceship that basically has a max of like 11 days life support because if you think about it, five months out that's going to be five months back like this is about a year-long mission or so so it strains belief but damn i if would if they came back if they yeah, that's true well i mean officially they came back because you know neil uh, and buzz i mean buzz is still alive today but i mean if it's a photoshop job it's it's a damn good one so i don't know what are your thoughts on project red sun it's creepy it is creepy isn't it it's very creepy julie any thoughts on that one I feel like I feel bad. I feel like we're not hearing from you enough. No, like no, I'm no. Too much. Um, I I mean like it, it, like that was supposed to be what in the in the nineteen seventy three officially. Okay. Yeah, it's just, I just feel like it's sketchy to me only because like it just looks it looks so shitty. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to the seventies. Well, and that's it's hard. I guess like perspective wise, like I I don't have I don't feel like I have a good eye for like what would have been normal to see you know what i mean like what what real footage would have looked like compared to photoshop it is it is remarkably consistent with actual footage from the apollo missions sure and yeah Yeah. and i guess that's kind of like so the idea is basically this is just kind of like this like private mission that happened and and somehow someone got footage from it but like i don't know it's when they mapped the moon, mm-hmm. when they, so when they, when it, when we flew over the moon, uh-huh. the cameras, the still cameras were stationary, and mm-hmm. then the as the spaceship would cross the, the you know cross the area of the moon every like second when they taken a still picture every minute every like is that how they did it? Well, and they also had on the Apollo they missions them they actually had video cameras inside the capsule, so the astronauts are also holding cameras up to the yeah, window. Yeah, I mean, like in terms it. of because I was always told that the entire moon was mapped, even the dark side, at some point mm-hmm. in time mm-hmm. through additional missions oh. or whatever. A lot of that was done with automated space probes. So even prior to actually landing men on the moon, the U.S. and Soviet Union had enough reconnaissance through automated probes that they had a pretty good idea of what it would be like up close. And so basically how it's done, there's photography, but then also what they'll do is they'll do with radio waves. They'll bounce them down, measure the return time up, and then that's how they But they wouldn't have probably had to do that. That probably would have been real photography, right? Because there was enough light. I would say so because there really isn't like a dark side of the moon. There's like a near side and a far side. It's all dark. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess like what I'm, I'm, I can't like get it out of my head is like, see that like that picture of that camera there? Like Uh I'm picturing like what like camcorders looked like in the 80s. And I'm like imagining someone on a spaceship with like one of those pointed out the little window. Right. Yeah, that's my point though. Like, like. (laughs) As a photographer, I will tell you that Leica and Nikon and Canon, but does Leica and Nikon in Hasselblad, your mm-hmm. six by nine format or six by four format cameras, going back to the twenties, 
even Ansel Adams, who used the large format cameras to do those fan, those incredible uh, black and white landscapes of oh, Yosemite and stuff like that. That film technology, with the, how good those lenses were, even a hundred years ago, you could get an unbelievably detailed and crisp image. It didn't. It doesn't have to be related to technology as we know it. Mm-hmm. If they had that kind of glass and that kind of camera equipment, the organic nature of how it was built. The clarity could be there mm-hmm. if they. I mean, I, I think that we don't need modern "quote unquote" technology as we know it to get clear images. And someone has told me years ago that we've got unbelievably high resolution mapped out landscapes of the moon. They're just not being released to the public. But that oh, we've that's got great. Them, that we've that's got really them. good. Hmm. I mean, I think you could argue, and this is not like defending NASA, but if you look at the time when the Apollo missions are going on. People didn't think they were going to end in the 70s. Right. Like they basically thought this was going to be a progression of missions. And at the time, if you take the Apollo missions exactly at face value, like nobody thought that people were going to be questioning the validity of the missions. Okay. So nobody <laughs> thought they would need to take the time to get that detailed photographs. The other issue you have is you guys are totally right about those detailed lenses, but a lot of them need those really big huge like mm-hmm. zoom type lenses mm-hmm. and i think on each of the apollo missions they may have had one because of the weight issue because probably. of the weight mm-hmm. issue of it that's so. kind of like what i'm picturing i'm just picturing like just like just this kind of like unrealistic sort mm-hmm. of like approach to videography to try to get these images right. um and if something's like secret like that like i don't know like i it's like it's I'm, i guess i'm wondering like why was it even allowed to be documented? Or was it documented just for the sole purpose of like them to have the documentation for... There's what, always a military like, bent to everything. Well, and like, what was the... I guess like what was the purpose supposed to be like if if it wasn't released to the public like what was the idea that they were were they supposed to land there did they are they saying they landed there you mean for the mars one or are we back to the moon the red sun this one just so supposedly this is them actually landing on mars Mm -hmm. and exploring mars and interestingly if we do have an apollo 20 episode Mm -hmm. that allegedly takes place in 1974 so just to give you like the time frame 72 is the last official Apollo mission on the moon. That's Mm -hmm. Apollo 17. So crazy thing, it's been almost 50 years since we've officially been on the moon. And And why didn't we go back? How about that, right? So then, logically, the dates of these, 73, 74, would kind of make sense. Like, if you wanted to make the, the program go black where the public doesn't find out about it anymore, this would be the time that you would start sending those secret missions out. So, If we just had Project Red Sun, I think that you could probably dismiss that as a pretty good hoax. But over the last 20 years, we've had a surprising number of people come forward to say they have already been on Mars as part of secret programs. Now, a lot of these people were unknown, but some are fairly well known, like Laura Eisenhower is the granddaughter of President Mike. Dwight Eisenhower. Oh. And then on the left, we have Andrew Basaggio. This is an interesting dude. It would be totally easy, after you see what this guy has said, to dismiss this guy as a nut. But he is a well-known lawyer in Washington State, okay. holds multiple doctoral degrees. Okay. I think he's even a member of Mensa. Mensa. And so... Uh, Some of these people are pretty well known, and what's interesting to me is they all tell very remarkably similar stories. So 
Basaggio says he was part of a real program that if anybody listening or watching wants to Google it, he called this Project Pegasus. And he says, this is an ongoing program where humans are actually on colonies on Mars. And what's interesting is he said as a young man, he was basically recruited into this program with other young people, including a young President Obama. So if you're skeptical and you're looking at this, you're thinking, okay, come on, like this is where it really passes the realm of reality. What's interesting is Basaggio came out publicly when Obama was still in office. And you would think that the White House would just like totally ignore this guy. Interestingly, the White House came out publicly and said, no, President Obama has never actually been to Mars. But here's, <laughs> here's what Passaggio said. He basically, to summarize it for you, he said that this was a secret program that was part of the DARPA program. And so DARPA basically recruited these young people who had high psychic abilities or high potential, and they recruited them into Project Pegasus in California. Now, what I always do right away is if somebody noteworthy is involved, since their biography is better known, I cross-check it and see where was this person officially at right. the time, because that could blow it out of the water right away. Right. Now, without getting political, President Obama's background is a little bit more nebulous than a lot of presidents, yeah. Yeah. but looking up on it, officially at the time- A little sketchy. <laughs> a little sketch. He's at California's College of the Siskios in 1980, when Basaggio said this is going down, and I mapped it, where Basaggio said this was taking place at is within driving distance of the College of the Siskios. And he said that they didn't actually go on like a Saturn V rocket, but he said, black budget, we already actually have teleportation technology. And he said he and a young Obama and others were taken to a jump room and they were immediately teleported to Mars. Now, the other interesting thing about the Obama inclusion, he claimed he claimed when they got to Mars, not wearing spacesuits, he said, as soon as they got there, Obama glibly remarked, well, we're here. Now, I found that fascinating because I think if you're totally lying and you're totally just making this up from scratch and you're gonna include a president in the United States, when you got there, wouldn't you make him do something totally badass, like fight an alien or something? So it was almost like it was so mundane that that almost seemed to make it a little bit more credible to me. Now, if we just had Basaggio's case, but we've had three other people, and probably out of this group, people know Corey Good the most. He's a pretty controversial figure in ufology, but they claim they were also involved with a program that they dubbed 20 and Back, which basically involves time travel, if you want to throw this in there. So what well, the we, guy up top looks like your insurance agent. The guy at the bottom looks like David Hasselhoff. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So we, we've got these three different men here that all claim that they are part of this mission. So basically what you're looking at, you have to think about this four-dimensionally. This is called a world line. So basically mm -hmm. all of us, since none of us have officially time traveled, our world line would just be straight. Basically, mm -hmm. here's the past, our present, and then our future. We all go straight ahead. They claimed as very young kids, they were basically abducted, not by aliens, but by humans, 
from their home on Earth and they were jumped out to Mars where they basically served 20 years just like the military would here. Like Randy Kramer said, he was basically security on Mars. He said there were fledgling human colonies there, but there were hostile extraterrestrials. And so basically he was a security force on Mars for the humans, for the human colonies. So then he said the reason nobody knows about it is after their 20 year service, they are then jumped back to Earth, but their age, age regressed. So no one would know the difference. So nobody would know. So like, according to these three men, their families didn't even realize they were actually missing because they were taken back to the same exact point that they left. Now, easy to dismiss this one as a coordinated hoax. I don't think any of the men knew each other. The one thing I will say is as we get into Albert Einstein and general relativity and the potential of traveling back in time, world lines like this even though it seems unlikely theoretically could be possible in the realm of physics i just wanted to throw that out there okay now if all this is tough to swallow just this past year we got a pretty big boost from a pretty credible individual this is Hayam ashed and i've got my last video clip here so for decades he was israel's minister of space defense And so last year he came out publicly. He's now well into his 80s. And what you see is a lot of these people, when they become whistleblowers, they're usually in their 70s or their 80s. They're like, fuck it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) What can you do to me now? Well, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what he says. So either, <laughs> yes. either all of their security oaths expired Fuck it, yeah. uh-huh. or like they still have the oath, but they're like, you know what? I lived a great life. I'm in my 80s. If you take me out at this point, what are you actually going to do? So here's a clip. And this is interesting because even the mainstream media, now they're going to get their jabs in as always, but even they covered it. Here is what NBC said about Haim Ashed's revelations. This is pretty interesting. Check it out. Aliens exist, and President Trump knows about it. That's according to Israel's former space security chief. In an interview with an Israeli newspaper, he said, the aliens have been waiting until today for humanity to develop and reach a stage where we will understand in general what space and spaceships are. NBC News Chief Global Correspondent Bill Neely explains this one. Hi, Alison. Well, this is quite a story, and it comes from the man who headed... Israel's space security program for nearly 30 years. Chaim Eshed is making the extraordinary claim that the United States and Israel have been in contact with a group of aliens for years, not immigrants, but extraterrestrials. He has called them the Galactic Federation of Aliens, and he says President Trump is aware of the existence of these aliens and had been on the verge of revealing their secrets, he claims, but was asked not to do so by the Federation in order to prevent what he calls mass hysteria. Well, the retired general says the US and Israel have kept it from the public because quotes, humanity isn't ready and the aliens don't want to reveal themselves until humanity can evolve, he says, and understand what space really is. A lot to take in from this one. Over break, we were talking about the alleged Greta Treaty that Eisenhower had made years ago with another civilization. It kind of alludes to that. He does basically confirm we already have bases on Mars. Mm -hmm. And then like, Julie, as you said over break, basically like he's so old, he's like, what are you going to do to me? Like, I don't care anymore. But I found that fascinating because normally if something like this came out, right away people are putting on their tinfoil hats. But we do have to keep in mind, like this guy is legit. He was for decades Israel's minister space defense and he's not the first one to do that 
Canada's yeah, Minister of Defense, Paul Hellyer, yeah. for years has said extraterrestrials are already here. We do have agreements with them. So, you know, for those listening or watching, if over the last couple of minutes you thought, boy, this thing's really taking a turn now, yeah, and I'm not sure I can buy this. this forward. But, you know, now this just happened in 2020. So I do have one final plot twist. Before I get to that, anybody have any thoughts on, like, Haya Mashed, what he said? I think, I would think that you have to at least just say to yourself, you have to be able to be willing to possibly conceptualize maybe kind of somewhat, it's possible based upon the guy's background. Mm -hmm. I mean, if he's truly lost his mind, then he wouldn't have been so rational in his description of everything, right? You would see yeah. other tells there. Right, right. You know? right. Well, and it sounds like, too, it's, you know, like he like he made his little joke about he was previously respected until now or whatever. Right. Well, that's but typical like, NBC, right? Or yeah. any mainstream news right. is going to do that. Mainstream. But either way, it's just like, you know, what's his motivation to lie? You know what I mean? Like, at this right. point, like... And that's and what it, it's going to take, that's somebody that. in that position that's right. really going to blow the whistle, right? right. I also yeah. find it interesting because for years, Americans have speculated which president is going to be like the disclosure president. Mm -hmm. And like everybody thought it was going to be President Obama. And like personally, I was not a big Obama fan, but I thought if he discloses this, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Never did. Then when Trump's in for his first term, like starts the Space Force, people see it going that way. And then like he's out in what many have considered a pretty controversial election. Right. And so like who's that president actually going to be? Or is it going to come from the Vatican? Like some people think if there's a hmm. disclosure, they're going to make sure it's not a government entity. It's going to be like somebody else that does well, it. So. I don't think the current occupant knows the difference between this reality <laughs> and, what, and what a Martian reality would be. I don't think it's going to be so our current I don't think it's going to be no, him. I don't think it will but, be but either. But you know what's interesting about that circumstance with Trump is that I view him as somebody who has very primitive emotions, meaning like he's got the emotions of a child in a man's body with a lot of money and a lot of power. And something leads me to believe that if he knew something... No matter if he knew it was best to keep it the lid on it for the betterment of mankind, I don't know if he's capable as a human being keeping his mouth shut. And I think that if he had that kind of secret, I think he would feel compelled to say and just, you know, he's the kind of person that just does not care. He'll take the chance on just, you know, just saying anything. I do think that there are some secret things that he was gradually trying to get out to the public. Like, for example, founding the Space Force. I think we already had the Space Force. Like, if you're familiar at all with the Solar Warden hack, did we talk about that at all? I, th I thought we did. So Sounds where familiar. A, a Scottish computer programmer named Gary McKinnon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he found the files. Yeah, yeah. Biggest military yep. computer hack of all time where over a nine-month period, hacks into CIA computers, yeah, NASA computers. This would have been the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. And finds this secret program called Solar Warden where we already had at least eight enormous cigar-shaped ships and almost 40 smaller circular scout ships that were basically protecting the Earth. And why would this guy make that up? Right. Right. I mean, did he ever produce the documents? Well, so, what's interesting about that, people said, where are the documents then? And what he said was frustrating, but it was also genuine. He basically said, my intent wasn't to expose this to the world. 
I just wanted to see for myself whether it was real. So I saw these things, made note of them, and kept moving. But like the but hack, they arrested him. Well, the hack was genuine because for like not for a couple year period, the United States threatened to extradite him right. and bring him here to stand trial. But they didn't end up doing it because they found out if they did it, his defense team could have then basically put U.S. officials on the stand and publicly question them about UFOs, which they did not want. So, like, the guy's a free man to this day. But, but like, bringing it back to Trump, like, me personally, I think he began the Space Force because he probably knew it was already in existence. So, like, this was his way to get that out to the public. So, I think the part about the Galactic Federation is interesting because, like, even if you look back in the book of Genesis, they talk about, they don't just talk about God, like, they basically talk about this ruling body of angels that functions a lot like we would say the United Nations functions today. And, like, a major core component of, like, modern ufology is this group is out there governing like the milky way or our part of the milky way but humans aren't ready to accept that yet like we wouldn't be able to handle it so like little by little they're dropping different pieces and it's interesting he calls it the galactic federation because that's basically right out of star trek and one of the theories is Star Trek was so far ahead of its time because we talked about this in another yeah. episode. I know, like, yeah. extraterrestrials were basically like planting those ideas into Star Trek. So I just thought it was neat that he referred to the Galactic Federation. Can I expose my ignorance? Please. U- ufology? Just like the scientific study of UFOs. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right That's what we do here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So science. I'm new to this shit. So. <laughs> All, right. All right, I got some questions. One final plot <laughs> twist. Final plot twist. Are we actually there at all? And this is dovetails with what some people question about the Apollo missions. Is there a chance some of the Mars footage that we are told is from Mars is actually shot here on Earth? So what you see on your screen right now, this is a NASA rover test facility on Devon Island, Canada. Devon Island has a claim to fame. It is the largest uninhabited island on Earth. The only thing that's actually there is this NASA test facility. COVID. So so you can't actually go to Devon Island and visit there. Only NASA officials are allowed there. So they own the Mm. island. Who owns the island? The Canadian government? Canadian government. But there's a long history of U.S. bases on Canadian soil that we basically have jurisdiction over. Okay. So if you look at the terrain... How's that work? Well, that actually... Do they just say, like, okay, you can just... Oh, we're kind of their military, right? So... That happens happens a lot. Like, for example, the Shag Harbor UFO incident was super famous Mm -hmm. where a UFO drops down into the water in front of this whole fishing village in Nova Scotia. Then it goes up the coastline and comes to rest off this base called Government Point, which was a U.S. base on Canadian soil. You see the same thing in 1980 in England with the Rendlesham Forest encounter where it was a U.S. base, but it was on British soil. Mm -hmm. And that one was interesting because like the UFO encounter is like right on the boundary. So it's like you have these two superpowers. It's just a lighthouse anyways. Yeah. (laughs) You know this one well. I know that that story very well. Is this our jurisdiction or is this there? So basically to your question is basically the base itself, the U.S. runs, but Mm -hmm. then it's like 
beyond the base is all Canada. Got it. Okay. So what you see here, what's interesting is if you look at the coloration, if you look at the terrain, it does look very similar to what we see on Mars. Now, skeptically, you could say, well, yeah, that's why they put this there so they could test stuff. So let me show you just one picture that some people say is a smoking gun. So in the background is an official picture of Mars from one of the rovers. Mars but squirrel. Then zoomed in, <laughs> you basically us. see what some people claim is like a lemming or a squirrel. Now, maybe it's just a rock that looks like a lemming, but here's the neat twist. There uh. is a lemming that looks just like that, but it's found at only one place in the world, and that's on Devon Island, Canada. <laughs> oh. So is there a chance that some of the stuff that we're being it's told so is on Mars is actually basically recorded here? So huh. just the final That is so horrific, there. though, if that really is going on. Right? Like, I mean, it's like... But would the I guess would the the motivation there be again like do we just want to make just like we talked about with moon stuff does it just all kind of come back to like us wanting to make ourselves seem like we're like at the head of the race to the rest of the world yeah that's what I mean like it's like you know just theatrics so that that we can seem like we're making more progress than any other country. okay so isn't wouldn't it be interesting if what you just said is really true throughout the entire quote unquote American space program meaning that. None of anything that we've been shown actually happened because of the Van Halen belt or whatever the reasons are mm -hmm. that we just mm -hmm. can't go there. Mm -hmm. We can't do it. I mean, I think the Capricorn one. You've seen the movie, right? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> O.J. Simpson, right? You know that movie? No, mm -mm. Yeah, I no. never saw it. No, no, I'm lost uh, on this one. Yeah, it's like um, they basically staged the. And it's 1980, 1979. They mm -hmm. the, the movie came out that it was staged. That the Apollo mission was staged. And oh, okay. It was now the more positive spin for anybody out there that loves the astronauts, loves the space program. The more positive take is we did go there, but the environment that was actually there was so much different than what we've been led to believe that they had to reshoot the footage on Earth and basically present that to the public. So like with the moon landings, the better like the better way to look at it that's not as upsetting is we actually did go there, but the areas we explored were so replete with ancient artifacts, the public couldn't see that, so they shot separate B-reel footage that they put out to the public to hide what was actually there. What do you believe? I think I'm up to like, I think we did this quickly at our last one. <clears throat> I think I'm up to like 11 different uh, theories on I the know. Apollo moon landing. Mean, what do you personally believe? What do you lean toward? If, 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 you, if you had to make a decision... I try to be evasive about that I one because I do. teach astronomy. Well, wait, what about, okay, like, what about, is this easier, the Mars one? What do you believe about that? Because there's, like, less Good point. information, or, I like, less, less missions, I guess. Less Mars missions. is easier just because we haven't sent humans yeah, yeah. there, and we yeah. don't have, like, the emotional, patriotic know. attachment to it. Yeah, so what's your thought there? I strongly believe that right now we already have human colonies on the moon and on Mars, and we're starting to explore other star systems. I feel like early 70s and on, we had a major divergence between the public space program mm -hmm. and like the deep black space program. And I feel like we are pretty far ahead, probably 
decades to a centuries ahead of what we as the public actually see. Do you think that that's like a global thing? Like, do you think that we are like in like cohorts or in like are in cooperation maybe with like other nations? Or do you think it's just U.S.? I think you're right. I don't know if I shared this in a previous episode, but like one of my favorite Area 51 stories does not involve aliens at all. I think I've read this two different places where people claimed They were at Area 51 because they had temporary clearances to be at part of the base. And they said they went into a big room and they said there were literally scientists from all around the world working together on projects. And there were translators Mm -hmm. in the room to overcome the language barriers. And I always found stories like that fascinating and uplifting because I think, what if most of what we see on the evening news people fighting each other, nations fighting each other. What if a lot of that is an intentional distraction to us? Whereas bigger picture, countries like the United States, like Russia, realize that we are part of just like a much bigger whole. And as humans, the only way we stand a chance is if we work together. So I would say to your question, Julia, I would say, I think, yes, a lot of nations definitely are already collaborating together, for sure. See, what's what's really hard to understand it would be that if your theory is right that we have bases on the moon and bases on Mars already, and it's been starting and mature maturing since the seventies, mm-hmm. you know what would be the ultimate purpose that sent us there? Now, would it be an altruistic purpose? Would it be a money purpose? Would it be a global domination purpose? And when I try to work through those, if we're using if we're in conjunction with other countries then really the illusion of our adversarial positions on Earth is just a ruse then. If we're working in conjunction with Partial Russia ruse. and China mm-hmm. to get at a base on secretly and a base on the Mars, there's no way what's going on here is really real. You see how deep it goes? It's like I can't... Or is it a money thing? Is there a cabal of like 20 wealthy people that are controlling all this and they're manipulating the tax money and all this behind the scenes to in to further i don't know to you know to to swell the uh the profits of these people right. but i mean i would say i don't know it's hard to figure what the what, I, the, what the purpose would be. all right my answer i guess would be kind of scary for a different reason i would say they're doing this for a civilization survival standpoint. I don't think it can be about money because, like, as we talked about over break, the Federal Reserve basically makes money out of thin air. Like, I feel like the real motivation is now totally up beyond money. What I tell my students is think about it from a survival standpoint. So, if you have a species of animal here on Earth that's only in one ecological niche, we know their chances of going extinct are a lot higher. Right. Um, so we think that we as humans are safe because like we're all around the earth but like as you zoom out from the earth cosmically that's really just one niche Got it. and so if something happens here like an asteroid strike or nuclear war or runaway global warming that could be the entire civilization in danger so if you can branch out to the moon to mars right away that's essentially an insurance policy if something goes south at one of these locations then you've got some of the other ones and i'd say long term you've also got to get out to other star systems because our sun isn't going to be here forever either so it's essentially like a race against time but do you think okay so before you finish that thought deep you're saying like race against time like do you think that we are currently operating just in like one timeline 
Like, oh, or, that's good. Or do you think that, like, potentially, if if that if like that's possible, like, if they were able to like basically create a program mm-hmm. to like you know launch a handful of kids twenty years in advance, send right. them to Mars, right. and then age regress them back, then couldn't there potentially be like multiple timelines occurring? Yes, you know what I mean. And like, one of the one of different the, projects happening in each of them, sort of. Maybe, yes, or? and if you are into that stuff, one of the craziest eye-opening books to read is called "The Philadelphia Experiment Murder." And okay. in that book, was there a Philadelphia Experiment thing? What, yeah, what is that? That was the one. I, I, they all run together to me. Okay. I don't know if we talk about this one. Philadelphia sure. Experiment is where the United States. The legend is they accidentally figured out how to time travel back during World War II. And a, and a boat disappeared? They were trying to do invisibility experiments with the USS Eldridge. Okay. They were attempting to make it just optically invisible, essentially create a mirage around the ship so that the Japanese couldn't actually see it out in the water. But they were toying with these high frequency generators and supposedly this is where the jump room technology comes from they temporarily transported the ship to norfolk virginia then it came back to philadelphia and sailors were fused into the hull of the ship some were catching on fire some were disappearing in and out of reality and so in this philadelphia what experiment experiment i don't believe we never talked about that That'd this be like a whole podcast. This doesn't sound very familiar to me. So in that Watch book, the though, they detail about eight different timelines that are all running parallel with each other. Okay. And they detail each of them. And in one or two of the para- the world lines, the Nazis actually mm-hmm. win World War II. Yeah, mm-hmm. So the Earth that. is in like an, a totally authoritarian domain. Was just domain. a TV series based upon that on either HBO? They definitely or made a movie about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was in one of the... the Man uh, in the Castle? Man in the High Castle. That's about, the, that's about that, right? Yeah. Well, funny thing... Or is that my, a pseudo world? No, you're right. My wife and I, our experience with the man in the high castle, we kept hearing about this series. We're like, all right, I guess we finally got to watch it. So the very first episode we're watching, like 10 minutes in, this dude's like, I am the man in the high castle. And I'm like, damn, that was a fast reveal. But then we looked <laughs> and we screwed up. We started watching season two first oh, instead of season oh. one. So we're like, son of a gun, we're done. <laughs> but, yeah, oh. but yeah, I think that was supposed to be about that. But to your question... Yeah, it gets pretty complex because there's supposedly multiple parallel world lines and each one, some things are slightly different. That ties us in to the Mandela effect. Which oh, yeah. T- okay. yeah, we've yeah. definitely So when people that. collectively are misremembering the same the thing in the same bears. way, yes, mm-hmm. people are arguing, is this an example of our own time travel experiments going back and changing our own reality? So, yeah, that's almost the whole separate podcast we could do. You familiar with that? The Mandela effect? Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's interesting, but I think there's also a potential explanation as far as just a psychological phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in the alternate timeline theory. Um, you were talking about how um, supposedly Obama was one of the... Um, uh, the jumpers mm-hmm. um, buddy of mine Paul he was talking about how he read all about how President Obama supposedly was a guy named Barry <laughs> Barry Satoro I, was that his last name that, that was That's his, his that was original name. Yeah. legal name yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. so yep. is that documented or is that oh, part yeah. of this yeah oh, that, yeah. that oh, part's documented. official okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. one, one of the interesting things on Obama 
And like I I read this in one of those like time travel yeah, type barely, books. It just doesn't have the yeah. same. It doesn't it doesn't have the same kick. <laughs> Not but Bar- they Mr. actually Rock. knew they knew early on he was going to become president, right. and mm. so they basically told him that, and he was basically groomed to take that role. But then that gets you into like the whole predestination type thing. Mm. Like, can you actually go back in time? tell people what's going to happen and then it brings up like a chicken or the egg scenario Mm -hmm. like did obama only become president because time travelers from the future came back and told him he was going to become president it does get muddy then yeah yeah but yeah basically that he was involved in like a time travel experiment and i want to say he told me it centered around them they kept going back to the kennedy assassination and they couldn't change anything but they were able to observe it um and I've read certain theories that for some reason, like, the Kennedy assassination was this pivotal event, like, mm-hmm. that, like, it has to do with the multiple timeline theory, just the idea that, like, it's a nexus point in time, or that, it, great. that, and what, that it happened. And that magic bullet kind of thing where they haven't really been able to, like, identify exactly how it happened, mm-hmm. because there was, yeah. like, multiple timelines kind of, like, converging on that. that that's what I was about to say, that, yeah. it, that it happened in multiple timelines, yeah. or that it's significant, like, um kind of like that it's a nexus point of some sort um, and that maybe it happened in all the different timelines but it had all kind of different historical like significance Mm -hmm. what's interesting you bring that up because you basically mentioned the two leading theories physicists have for traveling back to the past and both of these are to basically avoid the so-called grandmother paradox where you go back in time you kill your own grandma before Mm. she gives birth to your mom or dad who would give birth to you so then who killed your grandma What's that? Is it grandmother or grandpa? It's both. Okay. I've heard both. Okay. Yeah. So, but Kennedy Kill assassination. <laughs> you mentioned going no back, chance. Jerry, and like only as an observer. That's the one f- theory that physicists lean towards is called timescape. So in timescape, you can go back to whenever you want, but you can't actually interact with that time because then that would cause paradoxes that would affect your time. Mm-hmm. Now, the other possibility is called many worlds. And in many worlds, you can go back and you can change whatever you want. You can stop the umbrella man from signaling, or you can stop the guy dressed as a police officer who fires the kill shot from the grassy knoll fence. But as soon as you do that to prevent paradoxes, a separate timeline branches off. So we're in the timeline where President Kennedy was assassinated in Dealey Plaza, but then a separate one could branch off where a time traveler from 2021 goes back to stop the assassination of the president. So. To, to, like those are the two official theories that physicists say would be possible. Other worlds really kind of plays into quantum theory. You know, the totally. whole idea is that one of the things I learned about uh, quantum theory is the idea that so this action happens. You know, I take and hit into this, and it knocks into the light, and that every single possibility that could come from that one action does exist right somewhere right in the future and then as as things play out those narrow down until the actual outcome sort of coalesce but quantum theory is very interesting because it says as soon as that action happens before that outcome coalesce all those different possible outcomes do exist in the future 
Um, and that's one of my only beefs with many worlds is because then you have to ask what constitutes an event. Okay. And so I read one of the most interesting books from like a mainstream physicist who writes in a way that we can understand. It's called Time Travel in Einstein's Universe. It's by a physicist named Jim Gott. But he basically says, as humans, we can't set a limit on what constitutes a big event versus any other event. So he basically said, even a decision as small uh, yeah. as a single mm-hmm. electron jumping up to yep. a new level in a single atom. I think Vonnegut addressed this. Yeah. yeah. And so my yeah. only issue is if you subscribe to that, literally every single second, you would have an infinite amount yes. of world lines branching off from sure. that point. Oh, what, yeah. what about the concept that there is no such thing as time? That yes. everything is static. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everything, an infinite amount of possibilities. We only yes. perceive for every, time. Mm-hmm. For every movement going down to the molecular level and everything that builds from that, it's all static. It's all options are there, for lack of a way of phrasing it. Sure. Yes. Everything imaginable and the unimaginable is there. Yes. And our little little infinitesimally small plane that we're in right now is all there's ever going to be in terms of our world. But what's beyond what we can see? There's a couple rogue physicists right now that are basically arguing that time doesn't exist. Right. That time's mm-hmm. basically a human construct yep. so we can measure events. And one of the fascinating things that I found is when you read about people's near-death experiences, which I think are so amazing, yeah. a common theme is people all say it was like everything was happening all at once. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's like there was no time. All events were happening at the same time. Yeah. And I find that fascinating because so many people that have near-death experiences say that same thing, which I think is really interesting. Isn't time just a measuring tool that we came up with? And basically, Well, it, it is. seems like it would be especially if you're looking at like someone you know potentially like on the precipice of crossing over out of this like physical world that like time would be very relative to how we exist here because it like you said it's like a measuring tool of like partly how we relate to ourselves partly how we relate to other people and the world around us because like you know it would be really hard to like ever get to meet someone if you didn't have a time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you could right. never say like I'm going to be here at this time like can yeah. you be there at right. the same time like yeah. we would all just be kind of like and then if you think about it molecularly it's kind of the same thing where it's like you know, you've just got these like molecules bouncing off if there isn't anything like time to kind of like I don't really want to say constrain but sort of you know what I mean like some kind of like well, what about if everything's already there like every like this is what this will blew my mind when I talked about with time with uh, Dr. Cooper who was on one of the theories was that time was static and you know they take that loaf of bread analogy, right? There's just all these slices, and we're just mm-hmm. kind of moving through it. But what if it doesn't exist, and everything is just static, and everything, and every possibility, and every circumstance, and anything that's even imaginable is already there? It's mm-hmm. already happening. You just can't see anywhere near the all of it. You're just mm-hmm. seeing this little sliver of it. Right. That by randomly, all of us are in the same mm-hmm. sliver. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. But it's all predetermined and post-determined it's all been one big whole long tunnel that's static and we're just kind of like moving through it but how cool is it that you like get to like make friends and like meet people and all that you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like i always well, feel that's like the human experience like, so it's the human yeah. experience of self have we somehow i don't see how humans could have created this but have we somehow identified our experiences as the human experience and it's all we know it's all right. we can see mm-hmm 
I think one of the alarming subplots of that is if that is actually correct, it almost eliminates our idea of free will. And I think that that would be very alarming to humans if we thought, hey, it seems like you can do whatever you want, but it's basically already been determined for you. It's already been done. Yeah. It's like, but but we're age, but if a physically we're aging with the quote unquote passing of what we call time. Mm -hmm. So how does that fit into the whole thing? Our bodies are aging and deteriorating as this time goes along. Because you think it would be static and it's all, all that ever was is there and all that ever will be is there in Mm -hmm. every possible random way. Mm -hmm. If we're moving through, how could we, if there's no time, why are we aging? I think it's like manifestations though, because what we're talking about, like obviously, about to say obviously but it's not necessarily obvious (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) I don't necessarily exist in all times at once i only exist in the times from my birth until my death unless you believe in like the afterlife and stuff like that so really what you have if if time is static and everything is happening at once you have this like manifestation and a moment is a manifestation of the entire whole in one frame, like you said, the slices of bread. You know what I mean? That's deep. Well, it's good, Jerry. And the thing that breaks my brain is like I remember realizing that it's kind of depressing. We can only perceive two dimensions at once because I was like, why can you take a photo and it looks pretty much exactly like the world around you, even though the photo or the drawing is two-dimensional and the world is three-dimensional and I thought about it I was like the only way for me to perceive the third dimension other than like tactile sense to prove it is to look around the other side of it like that and so the only the only real way to observe the third dimension is through to, time to experience mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. is through time because mm-hmm. I see it from this angle and I see it from this angle That's a good point but, but that then doesn't happen at the same time the only way to perceive time is through memory because in mm. this one moment, the only way that I know any time has passed is because I can think back to two seconds ago or five mm. years mm. ago. And like, I don't know, like perception itself is tricky, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think it really- Especially when you're drunk. It, it really <laughs> is through perception itself, and I'm getting almost philosophical. It really is through perception itself that our worlds are what we- think of as our world is created like we were talking about how there's this entire like what we are able to perceive with our senses is this tiny little snippet of all these different energy spectrums that we're just not able to perceive right um and really i mean in a certain way we're sort of interacting with our perceptions a lot more than the world that's actually around us um can't remember i believe that can't remember Mm -hmm. something from earlier um like struck you said the in Einstein's universe, and it really kind of struck like something that that I don't know. It's it's sort of a half formed thought, but it's the idea that like it's another quantum theory is that our perception of the world around us of the universe affects the universe. Um, like there's certain quantum experiments, and the experiment turned out differently based on the question that they had in mind oh, when no they doubt. performed the the experiment. Basically, like, the idea that through quantum theory we're learning, like, pretty much, like, rather than the model, like, the Newtonian model, Mm -hmm. what we're learning through quantum theory, or what we think we're learning, um, because if you look at a science book from 50 years ago, we laugh at it. Like, we'll be laughing at what we thought today 50 years from now. So, what we believe we're learning through quantum theory is that my takeaway, and I think it's it's kind of been, been... 
spoon fed to me through people who understood it better than me like in the documentaries i've read where they yeah. break it down for a layperson mm-hmm. basically the universe and the actual model is more like akin to eastern philosophy than the newtonian a to b model like the idea mm-hmm. that time is linear and what goes up must come down it's more of like i've heard it called the holographic universe and every single little piece of the universe contains the entire whole within it yeah and that, it's it's uh, again I, i'm not going to go deep on the, the math or anything but to, to my understanding like take quantum entanglement have you heard that before that theory of quantum entanglement no yes it's uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. You're probably one more versed than I am. I understand it to be the two particles become entangled, mm-hmm. regardless of the distance. Once they're entangled, they're mm-hmm. entangled. And one happens to one, the reverse happens to the other in direct proportion, the spin, mathematical right? pr- proportion. And those those can be many, many, many miles away from each other. I have other. read about that. Yeah, that it was one of the ways. Einstein, even though he led the way for quantum theory, he himself did not like quantum right. theory at all. all. He was more of like a traditionalist. Right. That was one of the ways he and his colleagues at Princeton... Spooky action at distance. Podolsky and Rosen tried to disprove it. Yeah. So they basically said, if something happens and the particles separate, yeah. Yeah. like you said, one happens to the one, it happens to the other. But they basically defeated that by saying no useful information can right. actually be exchanged from one to the other, basically going against faster than light travel. So I could see both sides of that. But it's amazing that how, how they how are they directly entangled, though? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, look at people. Like, you talk about... I know Jerry doesn't like the word entanglement with regards to relationships, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hers entwinement. There's a story there. But, um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but no, just the idea that, like, if you think about, like, people, like... Especially like regardless, sometimes you can look at it like in terms of like, you know, intimate relationships because those tend to be the people you're most intimately mm-hmm. entwined with. Um, but it can also happen like with friendships too, where there's like, or like, you know, parents and children that like something happens to one and the other is like acutely aware of it. And people like refer to it as like psychic connection or, mm-hmm. you know, however mm-hmm. you want to look mm-hmm. at it. But like, if you want to just kind of like break it down like physically or metaphysically or whatever, or like quantum physically, there's potential, I think, for you know the possibility if if a molecule can entwine with another molecule yeah. and be affected, one be affecting the other, and people are such complex molecular systems, how is it not possible that if two people are in some form of relationship, whether it's familial or mm-hmm. intimacy or even mm-hmm. just friendship, that there isn't some kind of you know impact from one to the other, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's how like you know. You think about someone, they call you, you know what I mean? Things right. like that. Like, it's funny to me that people are so, like, skeptical, I guess, about, like, you know, this idea of, like, a psychic connection. When, meanwhile, I think it's probably a lot more scientific mm-hmm. um, than that. That it's potentially easy to just sort of, like, identify if you're really looking at things, like, on a quantum level. Well, and I think you kind of ventured towards stuff that's more metaphysical, but it kind of made me think of, like, dark matter, and I'd be interested to hear what you had to say, mm-hmm. because, like, didn't they, didn't they, when they discovered dark matter and started really looking at it, be like, most of the universe is dark matter. Like, overwhelmingly, like, what we perceive of the universe is, like, less than 1%, or mm-hmm. I don't know how they would determine something the, like that. the official percentage is, like, 70% dark matter, 80% dark energy. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, that's like, pretty crazy. Like, what the hell is it? <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's a 
definite possibility where we have multiple world lines pressing in. Like, officially, here's dark matter. When they looked at the rotations of galaxies, galaxies were spinning way, way faster than conventional models say. Right. Based on how fast they're spinning, they should fling themselves apart, but they don't. They stay together. So physicists say there's a huge amount of hidden matter that's there keeping them together. They also look really deep into space, and they see that the fabric of space-time itself is kind of bent mm -hmm. like a contact lens, like Einstein would say in general relativity. The problem is they can't see the mass that's actually doing it. So that's the other place where they have dark matter. I'm sort of on the fence with dark matter and dark energy. I feel like they sort of have shoehorned that as a possibility to try to explain what they can't currently explain rather than just looking back at their current models and basically saying like, are these complete? But that's where the idea comes from. They sort of work, you mentioned Eastern philosophy, like the yin and yang of the universe. Dark matter tries to keep the universe together. Dark energy comes about because when they did the first deep sky surveys, like right. really, really thorough, as right. far out as they could see, they thought the universe would either be maintaining the same rate of expansion or actually finally slowing speeding down. Up. But that's what they found is for some reason it was speeding up. And the only way they can explain that is if there's way, way more energy in the universe that we can't account for. So like dark matter, they say, tries to keep stuff together. Dark energy tries to push so it apart. So in theory, if the universe is roughly 13.8 billion years old, right. it, it, we theoretically could still be in the in, infant stage of our actual universe if it's expanding and it's increasing still. Because if sure. it was slowing or if it was, we're probably still in the growth phase of the universe. I think that's a good call. And then if you ascribe to like the big crunch theory, yeah. we couldn't even be sure we're in the original incarnation of the universe. It could be like a reincarnation yeah. of the universe. Yeah, absolutely. The um, Just for anyone who has not watched it, in 2011 or 12, PBS... Uh, along with Brian Greene, had a f three- or four-day series called The Fabric of the Cosmos. Mm -hmm. Familiar with this at all? I'm familiar with Brian Greene. I yeah. didn't hear that Do series. you like Brian Greene? What's your thoughts on I'm that? on the fence on Brian Greene. He's kind of like, I don't know, he's pretty narrow-minded when it comes to different, like, moon-type stuff. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he's one of those personalities that, like, he's there, they're yeah. going to pimp him out. So. Well, what I thought it was great was he took, like, one of the episodes was space and talked about you know, what is space. And I was fascinated learning that there's all this stuff. You, know, you take a vacuum and you suck all the air out. You suck all you suck everything out that we think, and then they look inside there, and there's just all kinds of stuff going on. You know, you mm -hmm. just nothing is really empty. What mm -hmm. like particles? Mm-hmm. And then there, you know, there was one on quantum entanglement. That were qua the the quantum uh, quantum period, the whole idea of quantum science. Then there was one on time. You know what is time, and so these over these three or four day, three or four nights, they're two hours apiece. Very well done for the layman to try to understand this stuff. But what I came away with that, and again, it's ten years now, so maybe there's been a lot of technology, and maybe this is old documentaries. But mm. he would. The last one was about quantum. What we see and think is logical, and all that we find out is not true. And he walks down into the subway, into this bar, and he orders a drink. And then there's five versions of him, and he goes and plays pool, and he hits the ball, and there's like all, all different I've seen directions. This. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds and, familiar. And it's, and it's like, but it all kind of made sense to me. The, the frustrating part is, I always believed that science 
as a young kid learning science was there was a logic to it you know mm-hmm. like that was a, there was a lot to physics and ma- even mathematics that i couldn't really understand there had to be a logic to the numbers That's, i think it's built on logic right, right. with quantum correct me, correct me if i'm wrong there's partial logic but then there's a lot of just craziness that it's almost science fiction stuff well and that's why einstein was so adamantly opposed to it and basically fell behind and everybody else kept going with it without him because at his heart he was a conventionalist and so a conventional physicist would say if you understand the laws of physics you can predict everything that's going to play out in the future you can see how the universe is going to play out according to quantum theory there is like this irreducible level of randomness that no matter how Entropy. hard you try, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, there's like there are all these yeah. possibilities, and he was never able to reconcile that. So he he had big, um, he had a, a big war in his era, like philosophical war with was it Niels Bohr, I Niels Bohr, it, 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 Werner Heisenberg, yeah, a lot of those the, guys, the, yeah, and that was the start of I think the quantum science, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. and then you move into like the um, it, why I know this is just fascinating to me. Like it kind of like touches base with like um, uh, our universe. I mean, there was a scientist uh, in '79 that came up with the theory of inflation. Young guy, glasses. Mm. Uh, his name will come to me in a second. Mm-hmm. But that inflation led to all these just other moments over the last 30 years in trying to explain our universe. And then Edwin, um, I can't remember his name. Uh, Hubble. Schrodinger? Schrodinger. No, no, in the mid-80s, the gentleman who basically pioneers string theory, uh, Edward, um, I can't remember his name, but string theory, the idea of these little tiny strings and how they interact interact with each other. And again, as a layman, it's so hard to wrap your head around it because it's so Mm -hmm. random and so unpredictable. Yet, what I've been told is that this science every prediction they've ever tried to make using this science has proven to be correct Mm. and it's responsible for a lot of our technology we have now so one of the uncomfortable things about that is if you really embrace that edward witten early 80s yes he he was something so along with the strings i mentioned earlier world lines so don't think about us three-dimensionally think about us four-dimensionally and like we're going through time so that's it when you really get into this stuff, one of the possibilities is there's no such thing as physical. So like, even though this table feels mm-hmm. like it's here with us, it's only because it's traveling through us with this world line. So one of the interesting things, a couple years ago, a guy put this out and what fascinated me was how fierce the backlash was. So what he did okay. was, anytime we think about our solar system, we think about a stationary sun, because we know now the sun is at the center, heliocentric universe. We think about the planets orbiting around it. This guy had a different take and was fascinating. He didn't picture the sun as stationary because the sun isn't stationary. It's basically traveling hundreds of thousands of miles per hour around the center of our Milky Way. So Yeah, and one of the arms of the galaxy, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he's got the sun moving fast instead of standing still. So then the planets, we think about them making circular orbits, but they're really not. Since the sun is moving this way, the planets are basically making spirals mm-hmm. around the sun as they move. It's like an atom. Yeah, like exactly. Like the sun's dragging them. Yes, and it basically looked like it was fascinating. As you're watching this, because he did a computer model, it basically looks like a DNA double helix. Mm. Doesn't it all make sense? At the, to at me, the, it at did. At the smallest levels, right. should equal 
the largest levels that we're aware of. Mm -hmm. And what was fascinating is if you watched Earth's motion, it basically looked like a wave. And a lot of these quantum guys say everything is waves. Right. And what was fascinating to me right. is how many people attack this dude for this model. I mean, fierce, fierce. And I would read the critiques, and the critiques weren't good at all. And I thought to myself, this dude's on to something. Like, I'm not I, comfortable with moving so <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there has to be one anchor point somewhere. Right. It can't all just be... Right. <laughs> and that's part of what made Einstein's relativity right. so impressive. Is Prior to Einstein, everybody thought there had to be one fixed point out Got there it. against which everything else could be measured. And that's like why it's called relativity. There isn't. Everything is measured relative to, to each something other. else because yeah. everything's moving. So like Alan Guth, that's the name of the inflation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guth. He's and, mentioned and, and in that he book. Had, yeah. uh, Alex Vilenkin was the um, the Russian who did it along with him. Yeah. Well, doesn't so that kind of like play of into the whole like spiral staircase and like how like that sort of like you know, like spiral thing well the you nautilus know. shell yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, it, like it it the reappears golden, what is golden, it the golden ratio, golden ratio yeah. Yeah. throughout like you know nature Fractals. and Fractals. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. and all that stuff like doesn't that kind of play into that that whole concept that it, uh -huh. it wouldn't the dimension it wouldn't reoccur from in, absolutely you know so uh -huh. many times that, that wasn't such a you know prevalent and, and important part it, so of many scale shouldn't matter so sure, many ancient yeah. cultures and their petroglyphs are carving the spiral. Right. Mm -hmm, and right. people aren't sure whether that was a depiction of time, like mm -hmm. events that occurred in one loop would reoccur again. Mm -hmm. Or some people, if you're into the ancient aliens things, think that other civilizations came here and basically showed our ancestors what the Milky Way looked like from the outside, a spiral mm -hmm. galaxy. So they like carved that in rock. But long story short, the spiral shape is really big in rock art all over the world. Mm -hmm. The extra dimension thing is mind numbing, and that plays in the string theory because I think their argument between Edward Witten and some of the other prominent uh, scientists in that uh, the string theory in the I want to say the 80s 90s early 2000s mm. uh, was that they were all arguing over how many dimensions yeah and the know? one thing I don't buy with that is according to string theory there's anywhere from like 13 up to 22 dimensions right, yeah. but the, right. the way they get around is they say well almost all of them are super small like tinier than an atom now the one thing i found interesting and this is just like my own personal theory not nearly as smart as these guys they for many years were stuck on 11 like 11 yep. dimensions and what i found interesting is that's how many times you can fold a piece of paper they used hmm. to think, this is kind of cool, they used to think that the max was like seven, but then I think it was like an elementary school girl, I forget what her name was, she got like this huge piece of paper made, like I think as big as like half a football field, and she would like meticulously fold it and they were able to get up to 11. So like mentioning dark matter, sometimes I think, what if the universe is like folded over on itself? Because like Einstein basically proved the universe could be bent through general relativity. So if you can bend it, why not fold it's it? It's almost like an accordion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a whole theory yeah. for like yeah. a wormhole would yeah. be able to take you to yeah. two yeah. distant points right. in space because it's actually uh -huh. curved mm -hmm. and it, those points. Yeah. But, but isn't, the, isn't what they're trying to do, they're trying to unify the standard model with 
Well, that's a whole nother, them, right? that's a whole nother theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, isn't like the isn't the, isn't that what there's a whole nother theory called unified theory that I know nothing yeah. about. So that's my <laughs> contribution. <laughs> well, they've been trying Thanks, to, sure. but they've been trying to. There's been many scientists <laughs> that have come around and tried to get acceptance with their papers that right. they have figured it out. Yeah, I I, I think Rogan just had a guy on last it, year. Uh, one of the one of his deep thinkers on there uh, wrote wrote a paper during COVID and uploaded it, and I think he got mocked. It by was society. explained yeah. to me that this, yeah. unified we- theory. Weinstein, Ben. Uh, uh, no. Oh, um, Brett Weinstein. Brett, yeah, he, he's he, very controversial for other reasons, but yeah, yes. no, you're right. Yes, that's but he true. had a, he had a unified theory that he yeah. Had, yeah. he said it, it was going to solve everything. Explain to me but, that unified theory is the attempt to like sort of unify the standard model of physics, the standard Newtonian model, right. and also um, quantum quantum physics, physics quantum mechanics, quantum super, mechanics. That's it. Quantum super mechanics. string theory, and there's probably other ones that what? it's going to u- somehow unify all the models because like you. Something you said, like, oh, it should go all the way down. What applies here should at the but smallest it, scales. But it doesn't, though. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the rules that apply on the macro, like on the uh, subatomic level, mm-hmm. they don't apply, like, in astrophysics and stuff like that. Well, correct? not on the quantum oh. level, right? But on the standard standard model, the physics is the same. Am I Mostly, right? Mostly, it, it depends on which force is dominant. So, like, for example, at the atomic level, right electromagnetism is more dominant than gravity. There's four. On the macro right. level, gravity's more dominant. Like, so, right. like, super string theory, you guys, like, are totally on point with this. The attempt is to unify the four fundamental forces. You've got strong nuclear force, which Weak. holds atom together. Weak nuclear force, which is radioactive decay, gravity, and electromagnetism. Right. And so, like, the premise is, and I tell my students this, a lot of times we think about science as discovering new things, but sometimes the biggest discoveries are when things that were thought to be different are manifestations of the same thing. So like, for example, mm. when James Clerk Maxwell, Scottish physicist came around, people thought that electricity was one thing and magnetism was a totally separate thing. Mm-hmm. Maxwell is able to figure out it's actually electromagnetism that a moving electric field makes magnetism. That was a really big deal. So like super string theory, grand unifying theory, the idea is there aren't four separate fundamental forces. They're all manifestations of the same universal force and that's what physicists are trying to get at man that's cool because it's almost like the four elements you know Mm. earth fire water yeah yeah Yeah. so help me understand and we'll we'll, we can wrap it up after this i don't want to keep you guys all night because this could this could go on till two in the morning uh (laughs) does the the quest for unification as the outlier here is that part of the reason why we have the Hadron Collider, because we're trying to bust these atoms down and keep breaking a piece off of space, basically, and keep cracking them open, open, looking for what? Where you can't crack it any further, where you're finding the core? Yes. I mean, what, what is, and somehow that's going to solve, that's going to somehow provide the data to unify? You're, I mean, it's funny because you always act like, oh, I don't really know this stuff very well. But I know a lot about. It. Yeah. I, know a lo- I know a lot about bits of it. Right. But I can't always tie it all together. So, Large Hadron Collider, or like CERN in Switzerland, yeah. the premise is supposed to be, you break it down small enough that you get even beyond the level of quarks, which make up atoms. So and the Higgs boson was smaller than a quark. I think it was a type of quark. They're okay. up to, I've okay. seen 
quark diagrams, and this is like stretching my abilities. Well, didn't they get crazy when they, they they said they found they think the they God found the particle? They, they found no, the Higgs boson, boson but, then right? they, but then they found like seventeen more. Like all of a sudden, boom, there's another plethora. I don't want yeah, to believe it anymore. I don't. And now either. they want to build another one. I know, but isn't that how like scientific? Uh, like discoveries kind of go a lot of times is like someone's like working on something and they kind of like have a breakthrough and, th- and then it kind of like right. opens like 15 more doors down yeah, the, the hole right. kind That's of plus point. they're discovering particles right but you alluded you both you both you alluded to the wave particle duality theory you know mm-hmm. and it just we keep coming back to like oh what well, is like the well, ultimate answer well, a, ph- a photon is both the particle and a wave and it only depends on whether you're measuring it or not no oh. if you're yeah. staring at it yeah. if you're, that was the blind split experiment or double split experiment you did like a yep. whole paper on that in high school didn't and that you? was, yeah. and that yeah. was done well, yeah, yeah. dr cooper just told me that was done in the 1800s and, and it's not just the photon like Basically, from what I've read, quantum theory has opened the door to that's not just the photon, that's everything. Yeah, I believe mm-hmm. it. Everything in existence that we know of is both a particle and a wave at the same time, and it depends on what experiment you're doing, like well, what the conditions it are. Not. It really, like, to me, it's like, what what end of the telescope am I looking through? And, yeah. like, it comes all the way back full circle to what uh, you were talking about, like the, uh, the yin and the yang, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing. They're like, oh, well, you can know exactly where an electron is, or you can know exactly how fast it's going, but isn't that another premise in quantum theory? Yes, it you is. You can know one, but you can never know both, and it's right. like trying to unify everything. Like that's why, for me, like it leaves a lot of space for what most people would think of as either the supernatural or spirituality, simply because like you can be on one side of the telescope or you can be on the other, but you can never be both at once, and it's kind of like. Yeah. I don't know. Like, we've talked about multiple world theory and all this other stuff. Like, I don't know. Like, it really comes back to this idea that I don't think it's from the Bible, but it's from, like, um, like I think it was might have been something King Solomon had, is that there's the two pillars, faith and reason, you know? And Mm. as much as we can know, the world is infinitely large and it's infinitely small. So, like, you can never know everything because as soon as you know everything from this angle, you stumble on what you just saying. And then they mm-hmm. find this particle. And by the way, there's 17 other one of those. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, you can never know everything. Um, so Isn't that great? It is great. I think that's great. But I think there's another, like, intuitive knowledge, whether it's instinct or whether it's being in touch with our higher selves or maybe all our other selves and all the other worlds. Like, there's something that I'm not saying it's completely unscientific, but it's not able to be rationally ascertained. And okay. yet, it's every bit as much a cruci- crucial, fundamental part of our existence. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think it drives strictly rational people crazy like yeah. Einstein well, well, because of course. Of course. there's always this reliance on the other thing that I can't know that is there. The other part of the paradox that I cannot see from this end of the telescope. That's a great point. So mm-hmm. my point, to, so on the, to build on that, you have all these incredible minds in the, for the last seventy years, now talking about quantum mechanics, right? In the in the just the crazy, the, the literal craziness and unpredictability of it, right? But then, how could any religion or spirit spirituality be poo pooed by these same people? Because you're proving it through your your science of quantum mechanics that there's all this unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Right. That's no different to the average person on the street. Than believing that a man came down and was killed at age 33 and died for your sins. I mean, mm-hmm. there isn't that much far of a stretch when you can't, because neither one of them are quote unquote provable right. by rational thought. Mm-hmm. Right? I think what 
what Jerry said earlier, I liked. It's almost like you would think once you start to learn more scientifically, you'd be like, okay, like I know this much about the universe. There's a smaller amount I don't. It's almost the opposite. The more you get into it, the more you realize you don't know for sure. Like there was this Greek scientist Democritus who was way ahead of his time. And like he got in a bunch of trouble with his ideas, most of which ended up being right. But he actually had a quote that Carl Sagan relays. It's, I would rather understand one cause than be king of Persia. And I think about it, I was like, yeah, I get that. Because like the more you know, the more you're like, we don't really know what that means. We don't really know what that means. We don't know what that means. So I, it's kind of interesting because like your journey through science leads you like the opposite direction that you think it's going That's to. It's funny, that documentary where I, I learned a lot of this stuff that I know, not that I know, but that I've picked up about quantum theory is called What the Bleep Do We Know? Yeah, yeah. that's, that's what I kept thinking of when yeah. we were talking about this. Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah. I don't know who it was. It was either a mathematician or a quantum physicist. Somebody said if quantum theory hasn't, and I'm paraphrasing, hasn't completely changed the way you look at the world or the universe or whatever, mm-hmm. then you haven't properly understood it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I think you can properly understand it. It's hard for uh, even a, a, a average Joe in the street to even grasp what they're, what they're referring to. And then to your point, I think you're straight on because it's interesting. A number of religious concepts and spirituality concepts, physicists are basically coming around to that from the other direction. Mm-hmm. But like they have to come about it the socially acceptable way. So they're coming like through the quantum uh, angle. But it basically leads to the same direction that like a lot of religions have been going. So like sure. I think the potential is exciting because you could truly have for the first time in history an actual real synthesis right. between science and mysticism spirituality. Yeah. 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 It's like I said, the two pillars, faith because and maybe reason. Because mm-hmm. maybe in reality they're just not that far apart. Yeah. Maybe right. quantum is the doorway that's trying to bridge the to at least for our understanding. Yeah, and I keep coming back to you cannot take one and view it through the same lens of the other. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you're either on the far end of the telescope or Mm -hmm. you're on the near end of the telescope and it's paradoxical. It's just like what we were saying about the electron. Like you can know how fast it's going. You cannot know exactly where it is and it's like it's kind of like the yin and the yang and this like this motor that generates whatever all of this is like the motion that creates the energy of the universe. Mm-hmm. Constantly repelling itself, but also being... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you're... Like that, like, and it's funny, because that, like, that phrase was like a visual representation of like what you were talking about earlier with like all the time stuff with like static. You know what I mean? It's like... But I look at it more like when you were saying that, like the thought that kind of came into my mind was like, it's like the cosmic dance. You know what I mean? The thing they always talk about is just this like... You know these like all these energies coalescing and all we're just trying to describe them you know what i mean but like they already exist without our description that really harks back to i can't remember who it was but it was talking about like the aliens do not want to reveal all this to us until we start to get an idea of what space really is because mm-hmm. you know you ask a question like well what would our motive be to go to other worlds would it be money would it be private pursuit and i'm thinking the thing that occurred to me was why would we even be in charge of that? Because the Galactic Federation, we're like, we're the new kid on the block. Yeah. Like, we're being indoctrinated, not indoctrinated, Maybe but we're invited. being initiated. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. We're being initiated and like the idea that we're in control of what we're doing out there, I don't really think that we would be because mm-hmm. we are just being let in on this this secret or this greater understanding, this, this greater connection to the universe mm-hmm. if it's really happening. James, can't thank you enough, man. 
This was great. Yeah, yeah. it was a lot yeah. of fun. Good, good times. Great. You did a hell of a job over there. <laughs> this was fun. Backup <laughs> Fred was good. Fake Fred was really good. If I ever get back on the show, I'll bring the wig next time. Yeah, I'm like this. This whole this whole last part of our discussion has opened up a whole new other idea about shows for me which i will talk to all of you off camera but Uh-oh. i want to thank you all this was really good and you did fred proud by the way yeah him, him sure. and fred are buds this, you're the this man is good. fred <laughs> james yeah. seriously this would not happen Thanks, without guys. you buddy so Thanks. we really appreciate really it man yeah thank good you. time yeah. all right we don't we're out all right friends peace Good stuff. Good show. Good show. Great show. So while he's in Palm Springs, FDR totally goes AWOL for like two days straight. Like nobody knows where the president of the United States is. So then when like they finally find him, they're like, Eisenhower or FDR? What's that? Uh, It was Eisenhower. I just got the name wrong. Oh shit! I said FDR. No, it's oh, my fault. No, yeah, I, yeah. I did that first. Oh, did you do it? Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I put so it Eisenhower. Yeah. yeah, good question. Just making sure. And so then, like, this ruined like, my opinion of Eisenhower. He's my yeah. favorite president. I know, he told me son of a shit. bitch. So then, like, they trot out this dentist. They're like, oh, like, sorry, like, I had emergency dental work, but a number of guys over the years are like, no, like, I was security at Holloman Air Force Base. They took him there, and it's like, it's like less than two hours away from Palm Springs, and they said like. These two flying saucers come in. One lands. The other one stays in like sentry duty. That's and horrifying. Ike and two other representatives go on board, and they like end up signing this treaty. But like, if that's actually real, you could see right there why the government would keep all this stuff secret. Because like, could you imagine the outrage if like they found out that like they had actually like made a treaty with another civilization sure. against the will of Americans? That'd be crazy. Or without our knowledge, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was apparently like a bad treaty too. Like we got technology. <laughs> bad deal. Yeah, wasn't it like that? We, they, we were like, we had to let them give us so many people, or we had yeah. to give up so many people. We would look the other way when they like abducted people, but yeah. it wasn't going to be too many. But then, yeah, but it, but then <laughs> but then they started like the technology was garbage, and like the U.S. was shocked because they were taking like way, way more, more people than, than they, they had were like supposed, supposed to, to yeah. be taking. Yeah, this is the worst people deal <laughs> in history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's the worst intergalactic. <laughs> this is the worst intergalactic treaty yeah. in the history. <laughs> That'd be the Maybe ever. Trump was to review it today. Oh my god! Your um, your your take on Atlantis does that play into like the the Great Cataclysm and Lemuria and stuff? Oh like my that? gosh! Absolutely. Right like on. I actually have a separate. I have, a, I have an Atlantis one, then I have a Planet X Nibiru one. That's uh, like Wormwood. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. Jerry, actually, when we were doing the episode that had that in it, yeah. I was like, I'm supposed to be doing some research on this. And he's like, he's like look at the Wormwood. And I was like, the what? He's like, you got to look up the Wormwood. Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. It's in the should, Bible. Yeah, you yeah, should. Right I was like, there. you should be doing yeah. the show and not me. <laughs> That was like really crinkly early on. I know. <laughs> it was like the worst possible time too. It was like the first video we played. Yeah, he's trying like to annoy you. I'm like um, really fascinated by uh, Ike, but man, he I just like makes Ike. he makes some uh, some leaps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when he goes through like oh, what was it? It was uh, Children of the Matrix. It was I read. I think I read most of that one. I got through most of it, and him like making the parallels um, with human history and. and just his him analyzing it is so interesting. I just feel like he makes certain leaps. You know what I mean? Like who, who wrote that David one? David Ike. Oh, okay. I was no, still thinking of Eisenhower. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Icky or Ike? 
I've heard it both ways. I, yeah. I, I thought you went Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we were talking about him, so it's the transition. I guess. Somebody yeah. gave I like me I his g- book, The Greatest Secret, and it's all about like the reptilian takeover. Yeah. Most of them are like that. The font is like eight point font, and it's like a five hundred page book. And I'm just like, it's uh, awesome, but I'm like yeah. exhausted reading through yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm like sketchy on the whole reptilian thing. Like, I yeah. think it's interesting and stuff like that. But like one of the one of the things I really connected with is like his concept that. 10,000 years ago, human civilization did not start. That's when it restarted. And that's yeah. supposedly when the Great Cataclysm happened. Yeah. Um, when, I guess, there was Atlantis and also Lemuria. And there was, it's a theory that there was, like, that the um, uh, alien civilizations got into a war. Mm-hmm. That there were more than one represented here. And that's when a great war happened on Earth. And it, like, pretty much it was, like, the Great Reset. And everything restarted from the Indus River Valley. And what we look at as the birth like the dawn of human civilization was like the reset like after oh break. amen i'm all about that yeah because like in one of my presentations i have all these artifacts that have been found dating back literally like billions of years like just one example in uh cretaceous age rock they found what's called the london artifact it's a hammer that's like in rock from the dinosaur time and so the hammer itself has to be at least 65 million years old and the iron the hammer is made of is so pure that like 70 years ago, a team of scientists got permission to cut a little piece off. The surface where they cut it has never rusted in like 70 years. So like somehow we have iron even purer than what we can make today found in a hammer that's <laughs> 63 million years older yeah. than like the earliest human. The man set. wielding this hammer apparently yeah. rode a dinosaur. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I totally agree. I think I think we've been reset here like a number of times and every time we just kind of arrogantly assume that like we're the peak of civilization. I call it like the saw blade model. Like I think we go up, get knocked down, go up, knock down, and like this just keeps happening over and over. Yeah. Sure. Well then when we've like kind of like delved into like the whole like idea of like parallel like time universes ha- like you know yeah. I mean, like, par- like parallel dimensions and time happening at the same time it makes that whole theory like even more complex because it's like well simultaneously you could have you know a civilization basically existing in a different parallel universe perhaps yes in this time perhaps in a different dimension like perhaps in a spiritual dimension makes or whatever. my head work it's funny you say that because like one of the things i read in one of the atlantis books is like the reason we can't find it or lemuria is it is basically a parallel timeline to ours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have... It's there, we just can't see it. Right, we have a memory of mm-hmm. it, but it's not, like, on our physical plane. Well, and then, wait, crazy. wasn't it, wasn't, like, the treaty with Ike, wasn't there, like, one race of, like, aliens that were, like, going to offer spiritual gifts and, yes. like, things like that, but we... We, we, were like, right, we declined right, right, that one, right. and we wanted, like, the technology and, right. like, warfare yeah. or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. let me guess, spiritual gifts, that was supposedly the Nordic race or whatever? Yes. Yeah. 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 Right, because yeah. they're which, supposed to be all enlightened and... Which is funny, too, because, like, when you look at, like, contactees from the 50s and 60s, like, those are the ones that they described. Mm-hmm. It was, like, very peaceful, everything like that. So, like, you kind of think, well, maybe that civilization got fed up, left, mm. and into this power vacuum came, like, the gray. But then the tricky thing is like when some abductees go through like regression hypnosis, they describe the grays in the foreground, but then in the background, like they pick up that like the Nordics are standing back there. So mm-hmm. like when we talk about my adult class, I was like, we have to be careful not to like oversimplify it. Like these are the bad guys. These are the good guys. It could be like way more complex than that. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. Ike talks about how supposedly the grays were like a, uh, uh, a hybrid that was created 
um, in order to like serve the reptilians and basically help them manipulate like what's happening here on Earth. I could I could believe that. Like I actually got to see why I had that Corso connection. They actually showed me notes from one of his books that was never published. It was called like Dawn of a New Era. And he got to see some of the cadavers and it was neat. He had like a three column page of like human body, gray body, and I forget what the third column was, but like after analyzing it, he basically concluded that like that race was essentially like built for space travel. Mm -hmm. Like we have androids today, like they could think of that as like a biological type android that's just made for that. So like there might not necessarily be like a gray planet. Like somebody made them, but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there's a whole planet filled with those guys. Sure. So, yeah, and Ike yeah. says that basically they were created by the reptilians to kind of serve their purposes here. That's what he says is interesting, but like it's it's very deep like stereotypical uh conspiracy theory stuff you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. the child sacrifice and all the evil shit that goes on like with the 13 families and basically his thing is it all revolves on around the reptilians and like he draws those parallels like you were saying the ancient artifacts that have been found mm -hmm. like how there's like this reptilian style like the dragons in uh ancient um Eastern uh, mm -hmm. cultures, yeah. you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Basically, right. like, he looks at all these different cultures, the way that, you know, they talk about how, why do all these different cultures have the same, like, mythic stories, like, the same story arcs exist in all these different um, ancient religions, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's same thing with him, as he's like, you see this reptilian, like, dragon, like, half reptile, half, like, human-type race in a lot of ancient like hieroglyphics and stuff like that and basically he, his theory is like they came down and seated us and i think what he says is like we were actually a hybrid between the nordic race and with some reptilian uh dna in us yeah because mm -hmm. they if you look at the human brain you have what they call the reptile brain yeah. like mm -hmm. our brain in the core right. is a yeah. reptile mm -hmm. brain and that's almost like there's a second brain yeah. that's added on to that and yeah. like i think Maybe his argument is like, that's part of the reason we have so many problems in the world today is the reptile brain is very much primitive, mm -hmm. basic survival, fight mm -hmm. or flight, yeah. where then you have this like mammalian brain like sculpted over top of that. And that's where you get like the higher yeah. end things. Sure. So, like we as a species are always in conflict with the two brains. Yeah. That's, and that's well, a lot of psychology like revolves around that too. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Just that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. What you said is essentially exactly his argument. Children of the Matrix starts out and he's basically saying like, what is the Matrix like? how could this thing be manipulating us this force be manipulating us and controlling us and at the same time feeding off us because he's big with like um power nexuses like the um uh what are they called the meridians the natural meridians mm -hmm. in the the earth and he's like well if you look at where they intersect there's almost always like a pyramid or like uh, right. a, a castle right. or like something like that yeah, you know what i mean yeah and basically that these 13 families have been intentionally like setting themselves up so that they are in control of like these nexus points and so that like because his big theory that i always really connected with being an aquarius like is that the human being is supposedly like if you look at if you subscribe to the theory that there's like all kind of different like alien races and they're all talking to each other and we're like the kid that's like in quarantine because they're like <laughs> you're fucking dangerous yeah. his thing is like human beings and like once our full power of our minds and everything is unlocked we are like the most powerful being like 
in the fucking known universe. And that's why we are being controlled carefully and why all these different um, artificial, or not artificial, but alien races want to manipulate and control us because he's like, especially the Earth, the Earth he describes is like almost like um, this huge library where all this information from the entire known universe is like stored here somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's basically like... If all these ley lines and our natural um, like energies were aligned, like we would be even without our technology, we would be. He's willing to like the psycho spiritual element of the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. We would be dangerous to the universe just being who we are. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like a common theme is it's like the creativity of human beings is like completely unmatched sure. by any other civilization. So that's awesome. Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. 